bought two instruments for our intro. Bought two instruments, piano and guitar. Bought two instruments. Wait, that's not the name of the podcast. The podcast is... Wait for it. We bought a mic. We bought a mic. We bought a mic. We bought a mic. Bought a mic. We bought a mic. We bought a mic. This is quietness. <laughs> we should have done that. We should have done that. Hello. This whole podcast will be brought to you by American Sign Language. <laughs> Welcome to We Bought a Mic. All right, we're currently in our underground bunker, which is pretty much the only place you should be if the world is as it is in certain movies. Um, so yeah, welcome guys. We got a lot to talk about. This I week. am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And Drew Dietzen is me. Um, so yeah, we got this week we got uh, some catch up on Atlanta. We have apparently Sherlock Gnomes. I didn't know that that was on the... That was the... That's the main review. Yeah, you didn't know? Didn't know that was on the docket today, but it's fucking there. <sighs> I guess we're going to talk about that. Um... And there's no way around it, so sorry. Uh, but first, uh, some news, yeah, yeah. What do you what do you got for us, Hunter? So uh, let's start this off with talking about basically uh, the thunderous feedback that we've been getting from last week's episode, uh, stemming from our Ready Player One review. And I we talked about it on the review last week that. Uh, specifically me, I was ready for all the backlash and the hate that was coming for this movie. And guess what? It happened. It fucking happened. It's, yeah, it's mainly centered around like film Twitter. I think general audiences are being more kind to this movie. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but it's I, I like one of the um, critics who I don't necessarily agree with very many of his opinions, but I still kind of read a bunch of his shit for some reason and that's andy greenwald uh called ready player one a pure a purely evil film yeah i love that yeah (laughs) and it's like i what i just like i feel like the basis of this backlash none of it's actually merited really on the well i mean the vast majority of it isn't merited on the movie itself it's just based on the culture that we're in and I don't think that's a fair way to view the film as a whole as just being like people are sick of nerd culture. So they think that like anything that celebrates nerd culture is bad and needs to be killed. Yeah, it's a tough conversation because I, I know a lot of people that feel very negatively towards the film were affected by the whole gamer gate fiasco thing where like I, I don't even know the details of that <laughs> scandal, but basically like. It, it was it shed light on like uh how a lot of geek nerd gamer culture has just been so misogynistic and like actively trying yeah. to keep women out of their uh i guess boys only club so it's it's pretty fucked up um i don't think this movie really has anything to do with that other than it's set in a video game and there's a white male lead yeah. but like i mean again this is based off of a book that came out like seven eight years ago before gamergate culture was a thing yeah and i don't think that's like there's been such like this pc culture backlash which i mean i'm all for inclusion of women and minorities and roles but 
if the source material is based on like a straight white male lead, then I don't can't really blame the film for yeah, what it's trying and, to do. And also particularly that backlash is definitely like a film a film community bubble thing where yeah. if I asked if I pulled every single one of my fifty coworkers, I know for a fact that maybe one of them would know what the fuck I'm talking about about this backlash. Most of them would be like, oh, yeah, I heard that was pretty good. Or like, oh, no, I heard it's all references, which that's the backlash that most people are aware of. And I mean, like I said last week, honestly, I could conceive a a movie like really, really liking a movie that is reference based. It doesn't have to be bad. That's not my issues I have with the movie. They were more story based issues. Um, And like I said, the book was written before we got this fucking mass influx of reboots and nostalgia and everything like that. It was right at the beginning of that, but the the book was conceived years before it was written, you would assume. So I, I can't blame the source material for being too derivative in this shitty nerd culture we have now when it kind of was at the forefront of it in the first place. And I think, I think Ernest Klein's aim in writing the novel was to kind of put an 80s pop culture spin on like the tired YA genre. So it was his way to kind of like write his version of a a book that's been written 50, 100 times. Mm. And now like looking back on it, it's like once we've been in this whole member berries sludge of the past five years or so, it's like, of course you're going to roll your eyes. Well, I mean, another thing is not even just the book. I mean, this movie was in the process of being made made for like what three years or so three four years so like even whenever this movie was like in its early production phases that was before gamer nerd culture became such just a part of the status quo of everything yeah Yeah. so if you i mean if you had no idea about the book or any of the production of it you would think that this is a hack fucking movie but it just it happens to not be because of time frame um Another issue I've been seeing around that is very true of it's true of both the book and the movie, but it's like a big problem is that the scope of the movie is so limited. It's not really interested in exploring any big ideas like I've read. I think Greenwald said this, but a lot of people have been saying this and it's really true. The end of the movie is so like unsatisfying where it's like, yeah, so now we own this VR world and we shut it down twice. I did. I did like the idea of yeah, yeah. Society is still horrible for everyone. But, but now I get to make out with my girlfriend Olivia Cook. Yeah, in our cool fucking <laughs> studio loft. I did like kind of like the whole idea of maybe they should have had like a big debate at the end of whether or not they should just shut down the Oasis completely, just whether or not he should have actually yeah, hit yeah, that yeah. big red button. Exactly. I don't want to get too into spoilers or anything for people who haven't seen the movie yet, but Yeah, it just it it ends without kind of wrapping up the biggest loose end, which the movie and the book don't really address enough at all, but especially the movie. At the end of the book, they do discuss it, that he, you know, there's a humanitarian effort done by Parzival with all of his riches. That, in the movie, it's just like, yeah, Tuesdays and Thursdays. We need to spend more time in the real world. Get a, You get a good meal in the real world, which actually was a good line in the movie. Yeah, that's one of the better lines. <laughs> yeah. All right, what else? Uh, what other news you got, Hunter? Um, also, I wanted to talk about, I don't know if you guys uh, heard about this or are interested in it, but uh, The Stand, the Stephen King epic that he wrote, yeah. um, is now being adapted into a 10-part series on CBS All Access. Wasn't this already adapted at one point? Um, it was into like a TV uh, miniseries. Like a two-parter? Like it I think type? it was like, 
a six episode. Okay. I actually have it on DVD, but I've never watched it. Um, I started reading The Stand a few years ago. Um, I never finished it just because other shit came up. But I mean, I got about like 400 pages into like the 3000 pages that are in that book. Yeah. I've, I've seen it before. It's, it's, it's a thick book. Huge. It's a huge book. So but, actually um, that makes me happy without even yeah, knowing I'm, anything. It's good that it's a 10 part thing. I'm excited for it, but, uh, I, I'm also just still kind of skeptical cause I've heard a lot of people, um, on like Reddit and other threads kind of talking about that. They don't even know if 10 hours is enough time to tell the full story because I read through a significant portion of the book and Pretty much everything that I read is like backstory before the main story even actually wow. happens. Like, there's so much shit that oh, happens Lord. in that book that yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, CBS All Access, uh, according to you, I mean, they did a really good job with Star Trek. Yeah. But See, they and- also have kind of flopped on some of their other ventures. Well, if you remember a couple weeks ago, I made this point. I was like, so what else do they fucking have? If they, they brought in the millennials with Star Trek, and now what? I guess this is their next thing that they're trying yeah, to do. I think it being a huge success. Like it, you know, the movie it, yeah. uh, it means that a lot of studios and networks are going to try to find their Stephen King. Oh yeah. Thing it's that they King can do. season. Um, and as far as all the, you know, how long the book is and how it's all backstory goes, uh, cocaine is a hell of a drug. I'll just say that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. That dude did a lot of fucking blow. In oh, the 70s and you 80s. know, um, just a quick aside, Stephen King tweeted at John Krasinski praising his film oh and yeah john that's Kr- sick yeah john Krasinski like quote tweeted and he was like oh i'm passing out <laughs> i'm comatose <laughs> and now john Krasinski's in a coma everyone yeah. him. so what, what if what steven else? what if he just like like today he without doing that he just tweeted him and he was like yo you are so fucking scary in the office like <laughs> <laughs> i can't believe it so like what else does cbs all access have right now nothing Judge. Is there like there's the good no fight, other, which the is good a fight. which is yeah. a good wife spinoff? Yeah, and it's supposedly good, just like the good wife was supposedly good. Yeah, but I'm never gonna watch I, it. The thing is, is CBS has money to throw around, so it's not like they're gonna fail from this. You know, yeah. they they mm. have the cash. Yeah, so honestly, be okay. they've been they've been a sleeping giant for a long time in terms of making anything good. They can if they want to, but it's not always profitable to make something good. If if it were profitable only to make good things, then FX would be like the richest network in the fucking world. Oh, so, yeah, you know, uh, it's a give and take. All right. What, uh, what's next on the news? Um, yeah, this, this is really exciting. Actually. Adam Sandler has signed on to star in the next a 24 produced safety brothers film. The safety brothers obviously made good time, which we all praised endlessly. Um, this is, this is really cool. The plot of this movie is like pretty under wraps. Um, but it's still, you know, it's written and directed by the Safdie brothers. It's called Uncut Gems. Yeah. Nice. So, so um, you know his foreskin is going to come into play. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm hoping that it'll be kind of a little bit of a revival for Adam Sandler. I was really hoping that they would just kind of sign Robert Pattinson on it to come back as like their... Mm-hmm. Like the Daniel Day Lewis to their PTA kind of thing. Like <laughs> That'd be chill. That's what I was hoping for because Robert Pattinson, I think, gave the best performance of any actor last year in a movie so like i would have loved to see him come back but i yeah i guess it is kind of a hot take but still i i mean i'm I'm hopeful for everything the safety brothers do after seeing good time and how original and stylized but also like poignant the story was i i'm excited for anything that these guys do going forward wait so um there's a link here. Is there any sort of plot? No, it says in the link that it's under wraps. Oh, okay. okay. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, 
The thing is with Sandler is he can be good if he wants to. But guys, like, Punch Drunk Love. It's like I I, I really recommend everyone checks no, that yeah. out. Yeah, and then he just did a Noah Baumbach movie. Like oh, last I still year. haven't seen that. Uh-huh. Like he is perfectly capable of being a better than average actor. Like he's capable of being a truly good actor. But it's like I was just saying, why why would you not be CBS? Like. It's it's hard to say no when like you're Adam Sandler, you have a big old family and a bunch of friends who like need money, and Netflix comes to you like, hey, do you want seventy five million fucking dollars to make bad movies? I would say yes. Yeah, I don't have that much integrity. Fuck it, like set for life, make make your fucking checks and then pump out a good movie every now and again, and people will be like, oh, he could be good if he wanted to. Is his Netflix contract almost up? I don't know. He he pumped those out pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> he put out like four movies in a yeah, year. They really came out really fucking fast. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I can't, honestly I can't blame him. It, like the con the uh confines of reality make it so like if you get an offer to make a so many bad movies, you're going to do it. That's so much money to just say no to for oh my art. Adam Sandler didn't get into the business to make like high art. He's you you seen his '90s SNL stuff? It's like, it's pretty schlocky. But, but guys, guys, have you seen the Cobbler? Yes, he's gonna walk a mile in our shoes. Yeah, I mean, I I'm excited for Safdie Brothers. That you know? pr- that premise of the Cobbler alone <laughs> makes me angry. It, it reminds me of that Jack Black movie where it's like. He, he he's blind and he can only see people for how they actually are inside. Oh my god! Yeah. So he finds love in an ugly chick. It's like, <laughs> oh my god! How did this not make it? How did like your screenwriting professor? Because I'm assuming an 18 year old wrote both of those scripts. How did they not be like that's too that's bad, that's derivative. All right. Next on the news, we have Brockhampton. This this is a little late. We missed this last week, but yeah, yeah. Um, Brockhampton signed an official big boy record deal with RCA. Yeah, and this is a huge deal, both in terms of uh, productivity and money, because it's $15 million, and they're expected to make six albums over the next three years, which, compared to a traditional record deal, that's like way, 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 way yeah, more than but it usual. reflects their current output. But, yeah, but they've... I mean, I'm sure that they are completely down to do that. I don't think that they're getting like pushed around. I think they were like, hey, we can do two albums a year, no problem. Um and it also the the deal incorporates every member of Brockhampton, which I think is really cool because they have like fifteen. They have fifteen members, and like they kind of get utilized very sporadically. Like like maybe once on the album, you'll hear a verse, and you're like, oh, who's that guy? Or like there will be a beat that's a little different in the production credits. It's like, oh, he's he's still there. Um, so they're all included in this deal, and this is this is a pretty big deal for them. Like they've they've gotten a lot a lot a lot of internet hype. Uh, over the course of last year it hasn't translated into mainstream hype but we're reaching a point where is there that much of a difference between internet hype and mainstream hype because they have a massive following on social no, media i think this is true for hip-hop definitely but it's becoming true for music in general where the your your i guess clout on the internet is inherently linked to your album sales and your just worth as a commercial artist. Yeah, exactly. And they're very, I mean, especially Kevin Abstract and Amir Van, but they are very uh, active on social media. Yeah. They have, uh, I mean, one of their members of the crew is like strictly a digital media guy. Like that's all he does for them, but he's included in the record deal, I mean, I'm assuming. That's, that's a little disheartening because you see a lot of hip hop artists and I, I guess it happens in pop too, but you see them prioritize like kind of gaining attention online than actually 
making music. Oh yeah, this is kind of a rare case where the output is like incredible. Yeah. Also, and they're and they're also good at plugging. This themselves. is why we're talking about this. This is why we're excited because they're really fucking talented. Yeah. But that's it. Kind of has to be the case. Because I mean, if not, it's it's like Motown in the old days. If you're not good at plugging for yourself, you're gonna get abused by some shitty record exec who's gonna just take all your money and all your songs. Um, so I mean, good for them for being. I mean, they were really on top of their shit last year. Like they did everything right. Like hats off. Um. So does this mean that Team Effort is not happening? I saw a tweet that Team Effort was like not coming out. I I don't know. I saw another tweet that their next album is called like bunny or something yeah i I don't remember yeah maybe Uh, it's the same sort of um songs yeah i don't know reworked into a they half of the news that they generate on their twitters is completely false okay (laughs) so you get really pissed off but then it's it's not like kanye where it's like hey where's that album like the album comes out so it's like you're fine you can lie uh speaking (laughs) of new albums though arctic monkeys are they're back and we're getting a new album in what a couple months no may 11th is actually the day yeah. I believe. Cool. Yeah. So next month we'll be getting a new, Jesus. new Arctic Monkeys. Um, they also announced the name of it. I had it on here. Uh, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Love that. Uh, um, what do you guys think about this album? Do you think it's going to be a, a huge departure, well, or are we going to see some? Well, form uh, of- another bit of news that I saw about it is that Tame Impala's bassist Cam Avery is going to be joining Arctic Monkeys for this album on bass. So, yeah, on bass. That's awesome. So, like, I'm really excited. To also, hear Alex, what that's going to sound like uh, Alex Turner is producing for the first time. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense because he's been doing a lot of soundtrack work and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he has like a side project with that other dude from some other British band that's not even popular. Uh, man, they honestly the the hype for me is just dead with this band. Dude, AM was good. I think it. I mean, it, it was in retrospect. Whenever I put them on, it's the last album that I go to. Period. I really like AM. Yeah, you're still a, you're a, a suck it and like see I, boy. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's not my favorite, but I just think I think favorite worst nightmare is the best well, album. Yeah. That they no have, shit. But I mean, um, but it's just, it's been five years and AM didn't really age well because it was, it came right in the middle of like this Dan Auerbach period of alt rock where it all kind of sounded pretty similar. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, it didn't quite separate itself from the pack in terms of sound as much as their older albums did. I think, um, I just have such a soft spot for whatever people say I am. That, you know, with a band like this, there's always that voice in the back of your head saying that they're never going to sound like that again. It's just impossible. Like, they get older, they live their lives, they change. Yeah, they were were a huge band for me in, like, early high school. I discovered them when I was 14 or 15, um, coming fresh off of listening to, like, the radio my whole life, basically. And they were huge. And I don't know. I don't know. For some reason, I just don't think this is going to be good at I'm, all. <laughs> I'm I'm still really yeah, hopeful for me it. Me too. I I mean, because honestly, like I know I've listened to a little bit of Alex Turner's kind of his solo stuff, and I'm blanking on the name of the project that he has with the other guy. Yeah, um, I, I, I. But that's oh, the Last Shadow Puppets. Yeah, Last yeah, Shadow yeah. Puppets. That's what it is. Um, but that sounds wholly different from anything Arctic Monkeys has ever done. So I don't feel like it's one of those situations where it's like he's like. 
I'm gonna be like, oh man, I wish that that one song by Last Shadow Puppets was an Arctic Monkeys song because they sound completely different from each other. And I just I'd be happy if it was just something completely different, kind of like how AM was completely different from Suck It and See. Like, but you you see the trajectory, right? Like you can listen to Suck It and See having you know knowing what AM sounds like and and see that that right. trajectory I, that track and, and uh, Humbug before that I feel like is like the transition like their albums all kind of feel like evolutions on each other yeah yeah i i'm still going to listen to it i'm oh I'm still- absolutely and i don't i don't mean to be too pessimistic because like they were you know one of my favorite bands of all time at one point and they're still like i still have a soft spot for them but interviews in the in the 5 years since am it's been really pointing towards like when a band is just getting back together for the fuck of it. Like Alex Turner yeah. for the past yeah. five years, he's been like, honestly, I don't think I have another Arctic monkeys album in Damn. me and he's doing all this other shit. It just seems like his heart's out of it. Um, and he was probably the main creative force behind their music, even though he wasn't producing it. They, they still have great, uh, the rest of the band is still great though. They have my fa- one of my favorite drummers of all time. One of the most underrated Matt where like, you think every beat is so simple and then you try to do it and you're like, holy shit, this Art, guy's a genius. Artists saying things like that just makes me sad about the state of rock. Like, yeah. it's dying and when when rock artists say things like that, it's like they are so disheartened that they just don't even want to try. They, yeah. You have very few rock artists like trying to do something wildly crazy and unique yeah. and, and just strange. I mean, I think that's why Jack White kind of stood out as just something that he's, I mean, it's different. It's yeah. really different whether you like it or not, but mm-hmm. at least he's fucking trying to do something different yeah. to separate himself. All right, let's get to some new music. Um, we have some new releases this week. Uh, again, like I said Can- last week, we, we can't get into new releases every single week, but... I'm going to try to make an effort to bring it up on the pod a little bit more frequently. And this week, we have two new album albums. Uh, one from Cardi B. It's her debut, because she's only put out mixtapes. Mm-hmm. And then we have the second album from Kali Uchis. All right, so I'm just going to get into Cardi B, since uh, I feel like I'm the resident Cardi B. <laughs> I've been with Cardi B w- since way back, since 2017. Whoa. Uh, we've been, yeah. Damn, man. Yeah, right? <laughs> um but uh yeah she released invasion of privacy her first uh, album and this album is really good guys i know that neither of you guys are big cardi b heads but i really <laughs> recommend that you check this album out um this album like what kind of struck me from it listening through it uh, a few times is how different the song choices are in each in each of the songs on here she's shows this ability to do like kind of that trap beat like she's done with her big singles that have come out, Bodak Yellow and Bardi Cardi. But, I mean, we also get songs uh, like Best Life with Chance the Rapper, which honestly kind of sounds like a Chance song more so than a Cardi song, which you can kind yeah. of put as a criticism as well. But that and then um, my uh, one of my other favorite songs on the album, Through Your Phone, she actually sings on the song. Um, shows off her beautiful voice. We have a song in here with SZA. Um I so don't I think guess this you're is... not listening to that one, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's a I good actually, song. I listen no. to that one. That's a good one. It's a good song. I do. Yeah, I um, I really like this album. Uh, of course, it's not a perfect album. Nobody really puts out a perfect first album. If anything, I do think that some of the songs with features, it kind of feels more like it feels like the features kind of take over her songs a little bit, which is probably since she's still kind of newer onto the game. That's, like that's called the coloring book problem. 
yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly but like um like on here there's a song uh featuring migos the song drip and that song just sounds like a migos song mm. like especially because all three of them have verses on the song so it's more <laughs> migos than it is cardi on the song um best life like i said I love it because I think Chance the Rapper is like the greatest artist alive right now who's working. And, but that song is, it sounds like something that could be off of Coloring Book or like it, a B side of We're getting book. to the point where seeing Chance is like a treat right now. Yeah, I know. I just, I see like a feature of Chance. I'm yeah. like, oh, yes. Yeah, here it's we like go. he's just raising his kid and it's like, come on, man, don't I, forget about it. I us. honestly kind of feel like, uh, with Chance the Rapper, he kind of does this with almost every song that he's a feature on because he's so, like, he's got such an iconic voice and just his style of music that he kind of takes over every single song. I yeah. mean, look at Life of Pablo. Like, oh, yeah, he, Ultralight. He fucking yeah. killed Ultralight Beams. He's just like, Kanye, step back. I got this one. Like, that was, and that's kind of the perfect example. But, I mean, I do think this album, um, I definitely recommend it to you hip-hop heads out there. Um, it's, there's a couple of songs that are, they're skippable, you could say, but she definitely tries to do lots of stuff different. So there's a song in here with Kehlani, who I love some Kehlani stuff. I did like that song. I listened to that one. Ring is a really, really good song. Um, and then she even has some stuff because, uh, she is, uh, Dominican descent, Dominican and, uh, Trinidad, Trinidadian. Is that it? Is that the correct term? Trinidadian. Trinidadi. Um, but she has a song on here with uh, Bad That's Bunny and Jay Balvin, who are like two of the most popular Spanish rappers, singers out there right now. Like, And so I know that song here in Orlando is going to be playing on the radio like all the mm-hmm. fucking time. And it's a pretty good song. I like it. Um, then, uh, But one of my biggest takeaways from this album is, guys, I'm worried about Cardi B and Offset. Oh I think God. that they... <laughs> they this album is, I mean, Cardi, I feel really bad for her as an artist because she's, and as a human being, I should say, just because she's talked about before, she knows that Offset has cheated on her multiple times, and her whole kind of opinion about it is just like, well, whoever I'm going to be with, I mean, any guy that I'm going to end up with is just going to cheat on me, so like, what's even the point in trying, which is such a tragic thought to have. So you would say but, this is the lemonade of... Uh, Cardi B's career. There's actually a little bit of, yeah, because she's already a seasoned vet like Beyonce. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, no, but I mean like the song, Um, I love the song Be Careful on here, Through Your Phone, but those songs are just about like, I like, I saw like you just like fucking sending nudies and getting nudies back from different girls. Damn, Offset. And like, Shit. it's just, it's really, it's really fucked. Like I'm getting to the point where I kind of hate Offset. He went from being my favorite member of Migos to now I'm yeah. just like, you know what? This guy, like, fuck this guy. Yeah, like why, why would she make up things like that? It's got to be coming from some place of truth. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I'm going to give that another uh, shot because I've been hearing a lot of good things about it. I just can't really get into I mean, it when I, I listen to I, it. I, I, I'm fine with her. Like, I don't dislike no, her. I don't, I don't think it's bad. Like, I, if it comes on, I won't be like, turn this shit off. Yeah. I, I'll listen to it. I just can't, like, really get into it. Well, she just also didn't write any of it. So it's how, how personal can it be if it's not literally not written by her? It's kind of like a yeah. duality thing. Hmm. Well, yeah, but I mean, I feel like that's a lot of artists don't write their own music. Oh, yeah. These and days. and I, like, t- I tend to gravitate towards the ones that do. Like, I like SZA so much because I love her perspective and it all is so. 
it's like reading a diary. Same with uh, No Name, who's one of the most underrated. Oh rappers, yeah, No Name opinion, is awesome because it's all straight out of her head. I uh, I will say one thing that I hate about this album is people are trying to manufacture a feud between Cardi B and Nicki Minaj. I don't know if you guys have seen this on like Twitter and everything. Like people yeah, are trying no, to I've manufacture that. that they've been like they have this whole big feud together, and Cardi's like, Nah, dude, I'm fucking. I've never fucking met Nicki Minaj. I got no problem with her. Like, well, I don't know what this whole deal is because you know we can only have one woman rapper of color like in the in yeah. the status quo at a certain time so so um one album that i have been getting into though is the new kali uchi's album isolation uh, i'm looking it up now and it's actually her debut because the the one that i thought was her debut was just an ep so this is a proper full length uh it just came out I love this album, guys. I really, really recommend it. Um, Caliucci's is from Colombia, so she's from the motherland. Um, but she came to the U.S. and I think she came up in Virginia. Um, but she collaborates with a lot of uh, really talented people to create a sound that is sort of this hip-hop uh soul kind of jazzy fusion. It's just good music. Uh, it kind of sounds like outcast sometimes um i don't know i i really like this album there's some there's some good features on here there's steve lacy i love that guy dude oh yes yeah, um Lacey's on great. the song just a stranger and you got tyler the creator on a short little song called after the storm and uh ray con um I don't know. I, I've just been listening to this album the last few days. Oh, the song Miami featuring Bia. That's a standout track. Um, just really kind of dancey, uh, feel-good music. And the, the lyrics add a lot of depth to it because she brings in a lot of these themes that, you know, artists like SZA and Cardi B bring up too. Uh, you know, themes of, um, of, of struggle with infidelity and relationships and heartbreak, but also female empowerment and, and feeling like they can use their body and sexuality in, in, in an empowering way. But the instrumentals are what drive it home for me. You know, you have these really cool jazzy instrumental beats that get into some dancey grooves, really great album. Definitely recommend it. Um, won't, won't go on too much about it, but again, Caliucci's Isolation, great, great album. Uh, all right, let's get to what we've been watching, guys. You guys just want to jump to our featured review of uh, Sherlock Gnomes? Okay. Okay. Um, did Did you actually see this? I did. Oh, I did. no. I did. Yeah, no, he saw I didn't it. just like rec- read the Wikipedia oh, on it. Boy. Like I, I saw it. Because guess what? I got movie pass, so this cost me nothing. Yeah, except your time. Yeah. But and you're... It's, it's literally less than an hour and a half long. Um. Okay, so I don't know if you guys saw the trailer for this movie, but this movie looked like the biggest piece of hot garbage ever made. What? Um, I can gladly say it's not that. Um, it's kind of a pretty standard kids movie, I'd say. Um, there's lots of gnome puns, so if you like puns, if you're a dad, then you might have a good time with this movie. Um, mm. The animation overall is pretty solid. Um, it's nothing really to complain too much about. The story doesn't completely insult your intelligence for the most part um there is one moment towards the end where 
the gnome characters are on a boat and then like suddenly they're flying on a drone and you're like wait a second i know i didn't just like take a nap real quick like how did they get from there to there but flying on a drone yeah they're on a drone <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. like it's like fortnite yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um but overall uh it's it's fine um there's some good gnome puns in there. Uh, I think the best part of the movie happens about... <laughs> you really struggling. <laughs> best part of the thing. movie happens about like 30 seconds in. Because as you guys know, this is a sequel to Nomeo and Juliet. Yes. Oh, you got to be fucking kidding so, me. So, the long-awaited sequel. Um, and <laughs> it kind of starts with the these like little like house gnomes kind of sitting around there. And they're like, what story are we going to do today? Are we going to do Game of Gnomes? Indiana Gnomes? No. It's so... <laughs> Oh my. But they list like fifteen of them, and it was pretty impressive seeing that because I was I was laughing legitimately. Um, it's not a good movie; it's a bad movie. <laughs> I give it a nine out of ten. Oh God, <laughs> God damn it! No, actually, I just wanted to tell you because um, so going into seeing this movie, Gaia Gaia and I were going up to the theater, went to Winter Park Village, and we were walking past this uh little restaurant place like right outside and we walked past it and it said 299 al- alcohol for <laughs> beer and wine so we looked at each other and we said how much time do we have we have 10 minutes we went in there and we each chugged three glasses of wine immediately <laughs> and then bought a fourth one to take into the movie that theater with us because it seems like you only remember the beginning of the movie <laughs> based on your in review. the end in the end um <laughs> So, uh, alcohol definitely helps while okay. watching this. Um, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Guy, I just wanted to share Guy's thoughts on it. She said, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. Six out of ten. Yeah, so, yeah. You, so, you'd probably give so it a... F- the, so, the opposite of what you said, which is that it's a bad movie. Nine out of ten. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. No, I'd give this movie a four out of ten. Four, <laughs> four out of three glasses of wine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, like I said, like, it's not the worst. I've seen much worse kids' movies, and... I still, it sounds sad. I think Sherlock Gnomes is a better movie than A Wrinkle in Time. Wow. Okay. Literally. So, <laughs> that's it. I, I'm honestly, I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> and and honestly, I'm proud of you for doing this because this isn't even like critical uh, journalism at this point. That's investigative journalism. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> no, <laughs> you okay. went in there and you were like, I'm getting the scoop we should, on this weird shit. We should have just done like a teaser freezer with watching the Sherlock Gnomes trailer because it looks like the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. There's a lot of uh, lines from the trailer that got cut off from the movie, including one line where they're on a ship and uh, like the Sherlock Gnome played by Johnny Depp. Um, <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, Johnny Depp. Look, he's got he's got to pay for that underground tunnel system. I'm under thinking his three that mansions. I'm thinking that this is the movie that Johnny Depp got in trouble for for getting his lines fed to him. So he was like, I just don't even care. Yeah, he pulled a Brando movie. and Godfather, and, except in, in the no movie. Yeah. But he was there's a line where they say, "No ship, Sherlock." <sighs> Kill me. Okay. They should oh, said, oh, oh, one more if, thing. What if they said gnome ship, Sherlock? <laughs> <laughs> one more thing. Um, the Another highlight of this movie is Elton John does the score in the soundtrack. So there's lots of Elton John in there. So I was I was all for that. Are you making this up? No, I swear to God. <laughs> Look it up. No, me closer time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay. So let's get to what I've been watching. I finished Versace or... American Crime Story, The Assassination of Gianni Versace on FX. I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are because I've heard that it's about two episodes too long. I honestly, I like watching it. I was like, wow, this is incredible. But then I was like, I kind of don't watch 
TV that's like this. I don't know. Like, what, what did you think? Of well, it? like historical shit? No, no. It just seemed so prestige and it was all about, like, the look of it. And to be honest, like, there's, I mean, I completely respect if that's, like, a main component of why anyone watches something. But for me, that's not why I watch things. Like, I, I, I really appreciate the cinematography of course and the yeah, set yeah. design and the costuming like all of the visuals are great and i think that's where this show really comes through but the reason why i stuck with it and the reason why i decided to kind of see it through to the end was just because of darren chris's performance like this man he's really good is so into this twisted crazy serial killer character that you're just transfixed you're like why are they making a show about this guy? You're you're just in disbelief that <laughs> that they would spend so much money telling a story about this despicable killer, mm. but you're just sucked into his story. And each episode, you get more and more into his life, and you find out more about his past. And there's an episode right towards the end where you see his childhood and his upbringing, and it's... It might be up there with one of the best episodes of TV this year for me. Yeah, I mean, making a murderer. I I always love the flashback episode. It's dude. It's kind of well. it's kind of heartbreaking. Like it tells the story of his father and his father kind of being like a wannabe Wolf of Wall Street type dude who's like scheming with stocks <laughs> and he's just like evading the FBI, trying to just make money. Um, but he really loves his son. Mm. Like really loves his son. Like, like a little, little creepy loves what, he his fucks son. Him? Does he fuck his son? You don't see anything, but there's some heavy implications. Yeah, it's like it's like it the movie that it just it just sticks in my mind, and I, I I'm getting chills just talking about it right now because it's just the most unsettling shit. And the actor that plays the father is is great because he brings this charisma to the role that turns very twisted very quickly. You're just rooting for him, you know, <sighs> guys. I. I was, you know, when we first started talking about this show and it first came on, I was skeptical that it was going to live up to OJ. Mm -hmm. It's not as good as OJ, but I appreciate that it just did something completely different. Like we just dove into this crazy person's past and all of the despicable shit he did and all the people that he hurt and killed. And there are episodes that just go in complete deviations looking at the lives of the people that he murdered and 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 not only giving you an insight as to who they were but saying something about the larger themes of the show as a whole in context of the stories of these people mm -hmm. there's one episode in particular that touches on one of his victims who was in the navy mm. and it, it shows you his time in the navy and him being a homosexual in the navy and all of those themes of like the whole don't ask don't tell i'm pretty sure the episode is called don't ask don't tell mm. so it could have easily been just like a very issue driven episode where it just like says like hey this is what homosexuality uh or um what is it? Uh, what is it when you're like discriminating against homosexuals? Um, like, what do you mean? Um, I don't know. Homophobia. That's what it is. It's, <laughs> that's what I was thinking of. I was yeah. like, I think that you're thinking of a more complex word. Than no, that. no, no. Homo. It, it's it. It could have easily been like a. This is why homophobia is bad. Episode, but it just 
puts you in, in a place where you really understand this character mm. and you see his struggle and and dealing with with just the reality of his life and it's just heartbreaking knowing that he's gonna die at the hands of this murderer um so i i just really enjoy the deviations that the show took and then in the final episode it's just so satisfying that it kind of just brings it all together and it starts or, or it ends where it started having gone all the way back and seen all these kind of flashback episodes because each uh, subsequent episode goes further back and back and back in time and then at the end you end where you started um every episode was written by the same guy uh tom brown park tom brown no <laughs> that's a park in tallahassee <laughs> um i'm looking it up i forgot but yeah it's it's a great show uh, I really, really recommend. It's only nine episodes. Okay. You don't have to watch. I recommend that I finish it. I think I got to episode five or so. Yeah, about a five. It, it just wrapped up. Um, Tom Rob Smith. That's the name. Man, that's, every that's generic. Every episode written by him, and he he killed it. He did a great job. All right. You know, wonderful, wonderful. Just. I wonder if that guy, his name is like Tom Smith, and they're like, no, that's not, that's yeah. too generic. What's your middle name? Rob. <laughs> yeah, and they're just like, oh, fine, fine. <laughs> Tom Rob Smith, it's fine. A, it's a terrific show. And and if you watch it only for like the heightened drama theatricality of it all and the beautiful shots, like it's good for that too. But it does get a little deeper and mm. does kind of make you think about where these monsters come from. And when you hear in the news in the world about someone doing a hideous murder or crime you know what what when you're a baby you don't look at a baby and you're like yeah this is this is gonna be a murderer right here this little baby's gonna kill nine people yeah something happens yeah like there's most of the time something happens yeah sometimes you just get a psychopath but most of the time yeah and and you kind of think about that and you kind of think like huh what led to that what what happened throughout this person's life that made them fucking snap Mm -hmm. um so yeah that's versace on fx uh Guys, man, lot this of, is lot this, of FX yeah, love. This is yeah, a, yeah, this is an Very FX, FX week because now we're gonna get into Legion season two, oh, also man. on FX. I am so excited. I'm so happy that this show is back. What um, do you What do you think of this premiere? I fucking loved it. Like this is, I mean, uh, the main thing that I can think of to like describe Legion because this will determine whether or not you actually want to watch Legion. Legion. Imagine David Lynch making a superhero show yeah yeah i i like will that. i will make that comparison but watching this premiere i was thinking a lot of lynch but i was also thinking noah hawley is very business savvy because he is not doing what lynch would do lynch is not business savvy lynch is in his head and he's like i'm doing exactly what i want to do yeah i mean and i don't care don't there is i mean for as fucking batshit crazy as this premiere is there is still like a level of exposition that happens a in this lot. show there's a lot of that there's a it's, good it's bit it's of the exposition. first episode so. it's and it is very needed because um a year has passed since season one and season two yeah there was no legion and, last year and so oh, wait, they have to explain there? no 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 i meant like in the show okay itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah no because legion was on last year but yeah. a year has passed in the show's chronology since the last time that we saw these characters and so they kind of have to explain to you everything that happened um we can get into a little bit of spoilers for season one because that kind of established season one is only at. eight episodes it's so, very easy to watch up. like it's this kind of unsettling, nightmarish, fever dream of a show. Also, um, don't be discouraged from this being an X-Men superhero thing because it's, it's, it's not. not. It's really not. Like, this is um, 
I was telling Colin about it the other day, and he was just like, isn't that Marvel? And I was like, it's technically based yeah. off of Marvel comics, but this is not a superhero story. No like, way. Um, and so in season two, we pick up, and they're in the Division Three headquarters, and the coolest like shots that I can think of all revolve around this boss for Division Three, who has like a basket for a head, and then he has four robotic mustached women mustached women (laughs) who are like saying his thoughts and shit like it is fucking wild so so things like that kind of make me like i dug it and i i'm in i'm in on this show and i'm not gonna let things like that kind of throw me out of whack because i've already you know watching season one watching season one it's it's a rabbit hole that's the thing about this show is that you have to be prepared to go down it but seeing the basket man i'm just like this is lynch light this is a, a watered-down version of Lynch. Because Lynch will give you a basket man, but it, not for the sake of just putting a basket man. There'll be some sort of like implication, whether it's in the context of the story or like in the context of like your own interpretation right. of it. Here in Legion, it's just like, it's just a basket man. I feel like it's it just is. crazy. It's just weird shit. I feel like it is going to be explained a little bit. Um, but I think see, that that's the thing. That is Lynch, the thing. Lynch doesn't care exactly. about explaining it. Lynch is going to make you come up with the answers all on your own. And if you don't find the answers, yeah. then that sucks. And, like, and, oh well. and I'm expecting Legion to explain everything. However, one thing that I don't think will be explained is the interpretive dance scene that we get in there in the club this that is fucking scene one of the most wild things i've ever oh. seen like i was kind of just like like jaw dropped watching that scene just because you see these characters um with uh dan stevens and uh aubrey plaza just like who aubrey plaza kind of is one of the main antagonistic forces throughout the show and you see them meet up in this club along with uh jermaine clement yeah well it starts out with just uh dan stevens and clement right and then halfway through you get aubrey plaza Plaza coming in and whenever you think it's going to be this big battle scene instead we have this interpretive dance number in which other people who are just in the club just start like joining in on their dances and stuff it's fucking crazy. And it's like, very well done. It is. It looks gorgeous. The choreography. Like, the, the lighting. Yeah. It all looks like really fucking cool. And it, it kind of reminds me, uh, I can't even like exactly put my finger on it. It's America's Best Dance Crew, except like so much more unsettling than anything that you'd ever <laughs> see in America's Best Dance Crew. Yo, ABDC, bro. Yeah. Never so forget. watching that sequence, uh, I was watching it on my laptop and I, I have a gorgeous 4K display, but the speakers... Oh, gee, would you just shut the fuck <laughs> The speakers are just standard laptop speakers. So I was watching the episode and it was all good. I was digging it. But then we got to the dance sequence and I, I watched it for like a minute and I had to pause it, put headphones on, and then replay it because I just wanted to completely oh, immerse sound, myself yeah. in this in the sound of the of the choreography and the and the whole just dance sequence. I I loved this episode. I thought it was just so insane. Um I don't know if it's gonna be better than season one. It's gonna be hard to beat. Because um, Noah Hawley has never done like a proper season two of anything. All of the Fargo seasons were basically a new season one like he never continued a story to another season so we're gonna have to see how well he does 
but I'm still excited. I still mm-hmm. think that this is one of the better shows on TV, I'm, and at least it's just being fucking crazy. Nuts another shit. one of the main things I'm excited for um, is seeing uh, David's character, Dan Stevens, and kind of his furthering of his relationship with Rachel Keller playing Sid. Yeah. Um, just because that whole. Oh, another thing that was really awesome about this episode is you get these kind of John Hamm voiceovers oh, that happen. Fuck. Oh shit! And I'm one in. of them, okay, I wasn't in, and now I'm in. No, one of the things is uh, they describe how delusions work in this extremely haunting scene, like that's really the just the egg, mm-hmm. and then normal ideas they spawn. They're just an egg, and out hatches just a little chicken, like perfectly fine little chick, and then. You have these delusional ideas that will crack open, and it's this like blackened, withered looking demon bird looking thing. And what happens is these delusions, and it's a real like it puts imagery to an idea which is true, like from science, how delusions work is that delusions swallow up your whole ideas. They use the whole classical idea of the man has a feeling that his leg isn't his and it starts as just like an idea and then that idea grows and grows and eventually it gets to the point where he's like chopping off off his own leg and they had that same thing with um the famous philosopher who uh meditates the famous uh chinese philosopher i'm blanking on his name no no no, it wasn't confucius but philosopher he meditates he uh sees himself as a butterfly and then realizes that it was only a dream, or is the dream that he's the philosopher, and in real life he is the butterfly. Mm. It's kind of that whole same like idea, like cyclical thinking that'll make you go a little bit insane. But you ever, you ever seen Inception, dude? Yeah, dude. <laughs> dude. Well, we'll keep talking about this show. I'm very excited yeah. for it. Honestly, so, uh, that's that's um near the top of my list of shit. I need to. It's get very on. easy. While like at first. Season is eight episodes. Yeah. Like it's and like not I hard to like I through. said like uh, I've said this before I think but like back in the old days like I mean last year I would just come home and Ernie would have it on, <laughs> and it was just like what in the fuck is going on? Why is there the, a, a a like scuba diver way, inside an ice cube? The yeah, way no. that they show and just kind of the way that they show like the labyrinth of your mind and they use very Kubrickian tricks where like lots of hallways that don't really lead to anywhere mm-hmm. and that run in circles with each other. It's all meant to be so very disorienting and it works. It works mm. extremely well. Yeah. Noah Hawley brought that similar um, sensibility to bones. I'm just kidding. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He worked on bones. Though. No way. Really? <laughs> yeah. For three in years. In the writer's oh, room. Oh boy. Um, he was a producer. Honestly, if you look at any good producers, MDB, they probably worked on bones at some point. Damn. Um, <laughs> All right, okay. Bones is the greatest show of all time. <laughs> yep, <laughs> guys, let's talk about Atlanta. Yeah, let's get into it. We we missed last week, so we can start with that episode, which is a little easier to tackle than the newest <laughs> yeah. one. I would so say. Last week's episode was Barbershop, which is, in retrospect, a very kind of breezy. <laughs> oh yeah, beautiful CoverGirl episode. It, yeah, it's it's a uh, Paperboy episode, and it's. Like I'm not gonna lie, it's a one note episode, but it's like it's like the best note like that there is because like the strength yeah. of of Brian Tyree Henry, everyone talks about this. His facial acting, he's, yeah, and he's just funny when he's pissed off. He's just <laughs> one of those guys that it's funny when he's mad. So this is just an episode of like 30 minutes of him being mad at the same guy for the whole 30 minutes, and it's just this fun little journey that it's just like, him and just him and Bibby. Yeah, but I think. 
I, I just, I loved this whole adventure you go down with Bibby and just like, my favorite moments was the Zaxby's. Yeah. That just was... like, I know you're hungry, man. You want to go get some Zaxby's? And then they just go to like a fucking renovated house and just yeah. like break in there. Yeah. He's like, Zaxby's. don't fuck with me, man. I love Zaxby's. Yeah. <laughs> what you think? <laughs> Yeah, think and am. it's yeah, it's still managed like while still having like an unbelievably simple plot. It still took you to these random ass locations where you're like, where what? Where are we now? Yeah, like it, it's still even though it was so simple, it still managed to be complicated, which is like the best thing about this show. Like even even an episode that relies on one joke over and over is still creative, well, more creative than almost. I any think other that's show. due to the dude that plays Bibby. Oh yeah, that's yeah, he's he a stand up. Awesome. I meant to give him props because he's fucking hilarious robert powell robert powell yeah, yeah he yeah. he makes the episode because he, he is great like he i don't i don't think he has done i don't know if he's done really anything else i'm pretty sure he's just a stand-up but like he reminded me a lot of what's the guy's name from season zan or whatever you know the oh the the um the social media dude yeah exactly like, yeah i don't think his name's season zan, one but yeah he, he had a similar thing where he just like he was so he's like a fucking bee. Like he's so annoying. He won't just he won't yeah. go away. He just won't do what you want. Um, and it's just it's a great dynamic. Like Paperboy is great when he's bouncing off someone's pissing him <laughs> Another, off. Another uh, shout out because I think that this episode really had just an amazing score by Flying Lotus and Thundercat. Yeah. The score is just it. It's almost like Birdman esque, where it's yeah. just kind of like carrying you along oh, on this journey yeah. the whole time. It's that- it's genuinely like it's perfect. It's super. Like at certain points, like particularly when the car is moving somewhere, it is this like super fast abstract like uh, it's it's classic Thundercat shit. Like yeah. it's it's really quick. Like like uh, yeah. what's it called? Freeform jazz. Yeah, yeah. And then you get to the very final moment of the episode where you know he finally or he comes back. We, we're we're assuming that he's coming back later, like mm-hmm. a week or two later, and he just walks right past Bibby. Goes sits to the down other guy. at another guy. Yeah, and but he, then he's like, shit. He can't and even asks, tell he's him. like, so am I doing a two or a three? And he's yeah. like, oh. He doesn't uh, even. He doesn't even know because Bibby yeah. just always gives him the same cut. But yeah. he doesn't know That's... how to actually voice that haircut. <laughs> and the, yeah. the face he makes, he's like just sad, but also like annoyed and a little longing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a great setup for a joke that's kind of a meme. Like I've seen takes on this, a lot of takes on this about how like you can't cheat on your barber because you know it's like a relationship. Yeah. Um, but they is, just know exactly what to do. To yeah, you. and it was so unexpected to have their version of this meme at the very end yeah. of the episode. It's so funny. But it, that's I think that's the whole point. Like the the whole bit that this episode is kind of structured around is that you can't have a barber who's like like reliable but also tolerable. <laughs> like you have to pick and choose. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's it's just it's a metaphor joke. It's a relationship. You you know, you got to take the go with the bat, or else you miss out. Yeah. You know. All right. So let's get into this uh, a slightly more complicated a episode. A little bit different. So um, this episode aired um, on FX. No commercials. No commercial break. Forty which, minutes, which is perfect for it because this episode of TV is basically kind of like a short film. Yeah. yeah. So Mr. Robot did something similar to this. Obviously, Mr. Robot takes up an hour slot, so they did. Um, you know, a no commercial break last year. And what the, what Mr. Robot did with that episode was uh, kind of like their one take, their Birdman episode, mm-hmm. um, which is really effective for no commercial breaks, obviously. Um, but here in, in Atlanta, 
you you're not getting a, a single take you're getting a buildup of tension and suspense that would be ruined with commercial breaks right yeah this this was an incredibly ambitious episode of tv from every single aspect it well, was first of all the fact that we didn't know anything about oh, it yeah. like like there was no write-up about like hey on the upcoming season of Atlanta, there's going to be a... Yeah, this was an episode that no critics saw. Like, yeah. It premiered... Critics saw it the same time as general audiences on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, which is... It's better for it. I didn't want... I'm glad I didn't see any headline that was like, what the fuck's going on? I saw a couple of tweets that were like, what's happening right now? Yeah. But they weren't like, this episode of Atlanta will chill you to your fucking core. <laughs> or whatever AV Club would say. Um, so... But yeah, this episode's called uh, Teddy Perkins. And it... Like you said, it's basically a short film because the only character that we know that we see the most of is Darius and he just, it's kind of his episode. Yeah. And he essentially, I mean, the setup is that he just answers an ad for a piano and that's, that's the entirety of the setup. <laughs> like that's all we pretty yeah. much get. And he just is sucked into this like terrifying, terrifying storyline. Yeah, insanity just ensues from it's, there. It's written by Donald Glover and directed by Hiram. Yeah. Rai. The, yeah. When I said it's great from every component, the directing of this episode is like Emmy worthy. I think that, if the Emmys have balls, this episode is going to get some serious yeah. attention. I think it will. But before we we dive in, just a quick shout out to the opening scene where he where Darius is in the uh, oh, convenience yes. store. Yeah, that was awesome. He asked for dried mangoes, which a convenience store would never have. Yeah. And then he's like, "This place sucks." When <laughs> obviously they don't and have then, it. And then he sees the hat that says "Southern Made" and buys a Southern Made hat with a Confederate flag on it and a red sharpie and colors in everything except so. It just says you mad yeah. yeah and then he arrives at this you know luxurious mansion like giant giant house and he has to buzz the intercom and from the intercom you hear this little voice like this yeah come on in just come on right in and yeah i mean do we do we just want to spoil so let's just get into a little bit of spoilers because uh, we have to you're gonna have to spoil yeah, to talk about it we're gonna get into spoilers yeah. go see the and, damn and episode typi- well typically when we're talking about an episode of tv we don't really care if we're spoiling that much but Th- this especially one... especially with atlanta because atlanta is more about the vibes than it is about yeah the show but, this... but this is an episode that you should watch like cold like, yeah just go into it not knowing that's, where yeah, it's that's going to go and so that's... so spoiler alert starting now from that initial soundbite, I I knew that it was Donald Glover. Did yeah. you? Oh, okay. Like I, I was trying to to pick out because I I saw headlines, so I knew that it was coming. But I was trying to put myself in a headspace where I wouldn't know. But you can kind of tell from that voice that it's definitely him. It took me a little bit longer. It took me until the scene where they were sitting down together, and I was like. I think this is Donald Glover, but I need to make sure. So I like Googled because I was still in the middle of the episode, but I just like, I had to know if this yeah. was Donald Glover or not. So I just looked it up there and it was a picture of Donald Glover next to Teddy Perkins. I was like, okay, that's all that I need. Yeah. Go. Yeah. And you see it in the eyes. Yeah, too. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So essentially it's Donald Glover in Michael Jackson style white face. Also uh, while looking like a who from Whoville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's part of it because you know, the Michael Jackson thing is he in, in in uh, respect to a theme that we're going to discuss, Michael Jackson, in addition to having the skin condition that turned him white, he had so many nose surgeries because his dad would always make fun of his wide nose when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. That's why he ended up doing that, and we all made fun of him for it. Um, and that's that's becomes like a huge theme in the episode. But yeah, so you initially you just meet this v- very similar to Michael Jackson character with a high pitched voice, and he he talks about. 
they're in this mansion and it's very confusing and muddled. And he mentions like his brother is a very famous uh, musician. And so they talk about music a little bit. And you're like, does this guy have a brother? <laughs> yeah, well, he's talking about how he takes care of his brother. Yeah, because his, his brother has a skin condition. Yeah, but it's like, yeah. I think you have a skin condition. Yeah, <laughs> cool. yeah and, and you know, you tell, you can tell as the episode plays out that Darius isn't stupid. And he kind of picks up on the fact that, yeah. that Teddy is just uh, creating some sort of uh, narrative to deal with his darkness, with yeah. his fucked up life. Yeah creating a, an alternate version of himself well, to not cope with with his reality. And also Darius is the only character that could have serviced this episode in that role because he's the only one who I wouldn't get pissed off at what he's doing because that his character is a guy who does not care like he is morbidly curious and he just kind of floats around these he horrible always, situations. I mean earlier in the season we had an, that in the first episode we get the whole thing where he's just like he's like drawn towards bad vibes and weird yeah, yeah. juju. Also, he, like he just wants to. He just wants the piano. Yeah, no, he's very adamant like, about like getting this wants, fucking piano. He wants to just kind of navigate around all of this weird shit just to get the piano that he probably can't even play. He just wants it because it's. Cool. Yeah, he said he's never actually. Yeah, had he's like actually like the colored just, keys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I think to your point, Drew, about this being, um, you know, like this is the Darius episode. So, thinking around that it's like this isn't the Darius episode that like we kind of thought we were going to get mm. if we were going to get one and cuz it's not centered around him exactly it's definitely but not it makes sense that it's him because of the final scene and i i hate to jump to it uh immediately but i just i i i really link it to that point of you saying that mm. that uh that it's it has to be Darius because when he sits him down on that chair with the handcuffs. Yeah, you think he's about to die. And then the the exchange that they have, Darius makes perfect sense, not only from us, from the audience, to have that insight into Darius's life and background, but also to be able to be like truly genuine yeah. with him and not just say something and to survive. Just, yeah, well, they, yeah. say, they say the whole thing about Stevie Wonder where Darius's whole thing is like, he was blind, but he wasn't blinded. Yeah. This whole like idea with the music and everything else is kind of this like thing where, uh, the Teddy character just kind of believes that music has to come from a place of pain. And Darius is just like, no, like, I mean, it can come from a place of love too. Like you don't have to just be in pain and in sorrow. Yes. Yeah. That's a theme that was introduced that I was kind of wondering with the whole Jackson thing and how weird this guy was. I was like, I wonder if they're going to get into this character who we just met, his backstory. And they do. And his backstory is Michael Jackson's yeah. backstory. Well, he, the, the and, key yeah. scene is the, the the father museum room. Yeah, exactly. Yes. He was he, So he was just like super, super disciplined by his dad as a kid and like, you know, scolded until he was good, which is like I was just talking about with Ernest. If a lot of the time, it's kind of a classic psychological thing that if you see a way overperforming guy, there is a disapproving father in the background. Which of his makes life. you think about Donald Glover and his own. That's oh, right. See, that's what I was thinking because. His past is kind of chronicled, not that much, but I've read everything that there is to know about his past, and there's really nothing good or bad about his dad. He'll talk about his mom, but he doesn't really even mention yeah, his cause dad. because why else do you think he would put himself in this role? Why didn't he? Why wouldn't he just hire someone else to play that it's, weird yeah, role? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting choice. Also, props to the makeup department, because he looked... 
a fucking terrifying yeah. mm. like the first shot of him is like is nightmare shit and the, uh, the whole he sequence... looks like a fucking vampire that's yeah. whenever i thought that whenever we first got there i was like is this gonna be like a vampire thing like what's the, happening the sequence with the ostrich egg oh my god that's oh. so gross just digging into the yeah it was just egg. such a disturbing oh. episode without even delving into like horror until much later on it's just already yeah. freaky I, I think the the horror doesn't fully kick in until um Darius takes the elevator down. Yeah, to the until basement. the basement scene. Yeah. yeah, because well, and before that, whenever we have him on the phone with the only other time that we see any other characters uh, is whenever he's in the phone call with Al and Ern and um, um, uh, the new character from this season. Um, but they're just like in line at a Crystal Burger or something together. Yeah, Tracy. But, Tracy. Um, but that's kind of the only thing that we see. And as soon as he kind of says, like, I'm pretty sure this is just the same guy. I'm pretty sure this guy's like saying, I'm just going to, I was just thinking to myself, like, all right, there's going to be another person there. Also, like, yeah. also get out vibes. Yeah. Here. Some serious oh, yeah. get out vibes. Yeah, oh, no. I mean, we ha- even have the time where he got a picture taken of him and he's just like, no, I don't like photos. <laughs> yeah. Like, Yo, I, ca- I, I caught that immediately. I caught that. that immediately. And I was just like, yeah, I bet this happened like right after get out. Like, <laughs> and also, I don't know if you noticed another thing about that photo that he takes the photo and he kind of like, he like puts his kind of hands up like that. But in well, the photo covering, taken. Oh. In the photo taken, it's different, and he has his arms like in an X. Okay, mm-hmm. like it's it, it's, it's different thing. meant to be a little bit more unsettling and kind of like yeah, what exactly back, is going on here? Back to yeah. the 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 whole um, the Teddy Perkins performance though. Um, it's been said once the episode aired that he didn't break character um, yeah, while on, on set. set, and you can really see the effects of that in his scenes with Darius. And well, I mean, all the scenes really in the whole episode, but just certain moments, um, like towards the end, there's the moment where Darius walks into the room that's playing the film reel mm-hmm. of the of the uh, piano practice, and Teddy's sitting there and he scares. Darius and the his reaction like Lakeith's acting is like you can tell that he's actually very creeped out right now. He was genuinely he did like it was the best performance that Glover's had on the show (laughs) because he genuinely like facially through the makeup he was still fucking terrifying and again the makeup department did great they even fucked up uh, Teddy Perkins's gums so he didn't have Donald Glover's nice teeth or whatever he just had like tiny little chiclet teeth it was so much more disconcerting you know I I'll say I've never seen anything like this on TV. I can't think of another episode or, or performance or vibe like this. This show, we we know that it's going to surprise us and we know that it's going to give us weird shit like this. But God damn, like, I was this not ready episode for this. Just like, fucked me up. Yeah, I think that this is arguably the best, sh- the greatest episode of Atlanta yet, like, it's, which is it's definitely the most ambitious. Impressive. It's fucking out there. Yeah. It is just it. It's like I say with when I see a great movie, uh, I know it's really good if it produces a particular feeling that I haven't felt before. Yes. Mm. Yeah, I felt the same way. I, I was just thinking like, you know, I've never seen this before. Yeah. It this was is just new right it here. It was super disturbing, but not in a horror movie way, which we're going to talk about A Quiet Place. Uh, and that's a different feeling than this. This had a, this was more dread not, and like very unnerving. Well, yeah, because it wasn't a dread based on like until the very end when the gun is mentioned, then you're like, oh, there's stakes here. But until the very end, you were like, I don't even know what I'm scared of. I'm just scared. But like, and that's why at the very end, like kind of leaning into it, like you're watching this episode. I'm like, this is Atlanta. Like Darius isn't going to die or whatever. But yeah, yeah. throughout the course of the episode, by the time the gun came out, I was like, honestly, 
Darius could be fucking killed here right now. Like it, I wouldn't be even like yeah. shocked by it. Like I'd be sad yeah, and by it, of thing, course. But like it was such a compelling and like just uniquely original story that I was like I. Wouldn't be surprised if they just like fucking kill Darius Holy here shit. after everybody was like telling him like, yo, you need to get the fuck yeah. out of the house. And he's well, just like, well, I got to get this keys. Like, it's like the classic horror movie trope that now he's going to die. For I, it. I was very stressed out during that sequence because I was thinking like, how the fuck is he going to get out of this? Like, right. like my brain was just going all over the place trying to think like, how the hell is he going to escape the situation? You know? Yeah, it's. And like I said. Like, I can't understate how perfect a choice it was to utilize Darius in this respect because I would be so fucking mad watching this. If it were anyone else, I'd be like, no, no one's this stupid. Darius isn't stupid. He just doesn't care. And like he said, the actor, he said that he plays it like he's stoned all the time, which is that's kind of it explains all the behavior in this where he's like, I don't know, man, I just kind of want that piano. And then at the end where he has the presence of mind, like you said, to not like scream like, please, please, please. But just to be like, give like a really thoughtful answer to like yeah. Teddy Perkins. But also, issues. but also not even say something just to say it to yeah. survive. He's just he, like, he clearly has concern and fear on his face, but he acts it perfectly because he has that on his face. But then his delivery is just like, you know, I really disagree with what you said about art earlier. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one character in the world who I would be happy right. if they said yeah. that. Yeah. That it's actually you know? believable. They said that. Yeah. Um, so this was, this was an incredible episode. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really think that my favorite part of this episode is what we talked about earlier with the whole the father museum scene. Just and then we just even him mentioning like all the great fathers have yeah, like it, have had to like discipline their children like this. And it's all this stuff. it's like, a story as old as Michael time. Jackson's Tiger, Tiger Woods, Woods yeah. Serena Williams. Like everybody Damn. has like had to to. It's the whole whiplash thing where yeah. you have to be pushed to greatness. I'm, yeah. I'm going to give a quick shout out to the uh, the Recapables podcast yeah. on the Ringer because mm-hmm. they dive into the whole Michael Jackson um, metaphor here, mm. and they do a really good job analyzing that because. If you think about it, you know, this is the first time really that we've seen the the whole Michael Jackson uh, story being tackled in a way that's not a parody and that's not making fun yeah, of it's it. It's not I South mean, Park. We're, yeah, we're exactly. Young, we're like pretty young to the point that. I mean, growing up for us, Michael Jackson was always a joke. Yeah, like that's. But he's already been dead for seven years, and we're just now seeing something like this that really makes you think about like how fucked up his life was. Oh yeah, if you read anything about his childhood, it's so fucked. It's so tragic, and like it's it's so sad when you see that like just Michael Jackson has become such a parody and a joke that everybody was just like mocking the shit out of him his last like ten twenty years of his life, and they also when he was. The king of pop. Like, he made so many classic, unforgettable songs. And, and most people, like, at least for me growing up, had were under the impression that he turned his skin white, like, bleaching, like Sammy Sosa did on purpose. Yeah. When right. that's not the case. He had, I think it's called vitiligo, something like that. Mm. He had a skin condition. And then the surgeries to make himself look more traditionally white were a result of his father's bullying. It's, it's messed up. And I'm glad they addressed this because I don't, know if we're gonna get a michael jackson biopic because there are child molestation accusations out there and things like that where they they tried to put one together with uh joseph 
uh, finds in the role. Oh, true. And I think the project fell it's, apart. It's just tricky because you have to, like, if you're going to do a time lapse thing, you got to cast different actors. There's yeah. no way around that. And not only that, like, it's also, I mean, Michael Jackson had such a huge career. How can you capture all of it from him exactly. being in the Jackson 5 to the child molestation charges and everything yeah, else to exactly. the end of his life? So, yeah, like, that's why I'm glad because making a biopic would be near impossible because this is a man who had three different lives, each with much different like completely different public perceptions of those lives so i mean it's just good that we got this this is like on the nose like dead ass it's a michael jackson story but it's so not at the same time well it's also leading into what you guys were just saying about uh you know all of these other um, sort of overachievers uh greats these Mm -hmm. artists or athletes or whatever uh that have you know daddy issues or whatever And, and i'm gonna uh bring it back to the recapables again because they bring up a theory that the fact that this episode is leaning so hard into the whole daddy stuff that Benny is Teddy's dad and that he's keeping his dad mm. in the basement and it, it, it that would be honestly awesome. Yeah, and and I think what they talk about on that pod is that Marvin Gaye was shot by his own right. father. So, tying that here, mm-hmm. you know, you have Teddy pretty much being shot by his own father um, in they, a whole murder-suicide They bring suicide up Marvin Gaye earlier in the and episode, they do, too. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, kind of to, to tie this all um, uh, together, I think that we have to look at this, how the show is being presented. Because Atlanta has never been the type of show to be realistic. It's always been surreal. And I, I think this episode stays on that track oh yeah and you know we we do it introduces all of these weird sort of horror mm-hmm. elements that we don't really see in the show um they're on the the forefront in this episode but we you still have to think of it in a sort of abstract way yeah um i was and, because and, i love that theory like that's obviously that makes a lot of sense that it, it was his dad and i was also considering while i was watching it the theory that it's because the show is so surreal that that's just a different version of Teddy Perkins. Yeah, like that it they're was just really Teddy, the, exactly. Yeah, it was it was the side of himself that he was hiding from even himself, and then mm-hmm. the the version of him, like the white version, is the version that he's hiding from the public. Yeah, like and we see a, we see two different people. Yeah, but you know because, they're really not because they both end up dead at about the same point. So mm-hmm. that has some validity. It, that's why I love this show. You got to consider all different angles. It's not going to mm-hmm. tell you. I watched this sh- episode with my girlfriend Allison who. She's only seen a few episodes and she was like, what, like, am I supposed to understand this? And I was like, no, absolutely not. No, I don't. I, I think that this is one of those episodes that we're going to be thinking about for a long time and sort of dissecting and looking back. Cause there's a lot of layers here. You know, we, we can't devote a whole episode to this, but it is going to stand out as one of the big, um, main episodes of, of this season and probably for the the entirety of the show. I, Mm. It's a yeah, standout. It, it was it was some wild shit. Obviously so, recommended. Yeah, let's uh, let's take a break, yeah. and when we get back, we're gonna be talking. Shh, a quiet place. 
Fuck it, I see some familiar stuck in a cul-de-sac I pull up, get out, what up? I wanna help, but what you want for some? Some niggas really don't want for themselves Now do I stay, do I go? That's my dilemma and traffic is picking up If I don't leave, I'ma get stuck So I speed off, we talk barely And it seems awkward And I heard some words that you off it I got too much drive, don't wanna steer off path and crash and get distracted But I listen to that weatherman Cause it might break There was one guy in my theater that was like <laughs> yeah, I actually yes. I saw this movie um, after a, when your wife a, is dead in a theater full of children who were just like screaming and they're like falling asleep and then snoring and then crying. Wow, guys! So how was Cock Blockers? It's actually just called Blockers, it's just blockers. And, that, and that's fucked up, and you can't say that. So um, Jim Bob writes in, "Hey guys, please watch Cock Blockers." Hey. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> well, no we, wonder it went to my spam. We sent out uh, a last week, I believe it was. We told people that we weren't going to see blockers unless we were specially requested to do so. So, uh, we bought a Mike fan six 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 at gmail says, please watch. Yeah. Uh, parentheses cock close parentheses blockers. Mm. So now we have to. So well, the I fans mean, are clamoring for it. The fan talk- is clamoring for it. Have we talked about how reception is pretty good for this movie? Yeah, I'm down to see it. I mean, it is I like you just so. said. It's it's Kay Cannon who did Pitch Perfect, which I'll say it. It's a good movie. Um, and then she you know did Thirty Rock and a bunch of good TV shows. New Girls, yeah. yeah. So, so it's like, a, and I mean, yeah, like it just it has it, the trailer looked fucking. That's horrendous. the thing. If this movie's we're back by the way. If this <laughs> if this movie's good, then it has the worst trailer of all time. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'll stand by but that. I understand why the trailer is bad because nowadays for modern comedy they have to appeal to the lowest common denominator as far yeah. as that goes and people are like huh, john cena is doing a keg stand out of his butt yeah <laughs> adults don't do emojis yeah oh my god eggplant emoji that means dick but guys what about tag starring jeremy renner oh my god i saw, I saw that <laughs> fucking trailer i am so excited did you know it's based on a true story yeah because yeah. that's that sense, I and i was like I do because no. it, it is. It pops up on Reddit once a month. It's like, did you know that a group of friends is playing tag to this day? <laughs> and someone was like, hey, I'll give you a million bucks, you fucking four idiot man children. <laughs> give me your story. Um, so before we get into A Quiet Place, I do want to talk about the trailers we got. Because I don't know about you guys. This was maybe the worst batch of trailers they I've ever really gotten. They were really bad. They were really, really bad. Except for Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah, I, didn't get, I didn't even get Mission Impossible. That was God fine. damn it. Best trailer but yeah, ever. But so we got tag. Is it called Tag? Yeah. It's called Tag. Oh, tag uh, colon based on a true story. Oh, tag, <laughs> tag colon you're it. <laughs> it should have been called you're it. But okay, so anyway, yeah, that is an adult comedy with a great cast that's about a group of friends who play Tag. Um, so that's promising. That I was watching that one. That was the one I saw, and I was like, oh, we're running out of ideas. Yeah, like as a culture, as a society, <laughs> and and as then, a human race. And then I don't know if you guys got the sequel to Bad Grandpa, which yes, is that was which another is one. Johnny Knoxville in slightly old makeup, not quite full old makeup. Well, it's a but... it's a prequel to Bad Grandpa, which is even funnier because who wanted <laughs> also, that? I hate how they advertise it as real stunts. 
Mm. All stunts are real stunts. Yeah, it's just whether well, or not they're done by the <laughs> actors or not. Yeah, exactly. It's so funny. The only thing that got me hype about that movie is that Pontius is in it. Oh my I, god, I love Chris Pontius. Everybody loves Pontius. Um, but yeah, so uh, this is what we're producing as a society. Also, truth or dare. Yeah, see, Greenwald said he, he like you said he was like Ready Player One. He said. If this is the movie we're making, maybe we deserve everything we have. Yeah. I was watching these trailers and I was like, yeah, America deserves to be a shithole. <laughs> like, because we got that. And then, yeah, what was the one you just so, said? Truth or so Dare. So are you guys not interested in... I got screener passes for Truth or Dare. Are you guys not interested one, in going One interesting thing about or? Truth or Dare is that on the poster... Uh, Jason Blum's name is bigger than anybody else's. <laughs> They're just like, guys, it's Blumhouse. Just trust yeah, in us. Blumhouse and the girl from Pretty Little Liars. And to, from the producer that brought you Get Out and Happy Death Day. That's bigger than the title of the fucking yeah, movie. And so, the yeah, so essentially this movie, <laughs> this is another one. Essentially, it's Final Destination, except it's Truth or Dare. <laughs> and everyone who played this game, all these cool teens are going to die if they stop playing truth or dare. <laughs> and when they get afflicted with this death thing, they get a fucking... <laughs> CGI get like, mouth. They get a rubbery, smile. They get a CGI smile that looks exactly how the characters looked like in that Scooby-Doo movie when, <laughs> yeah. they, got, when yeah. they got haunted or whatever. Also, it just looks like Holsters a, like a Snapchat filter kind I, of. Ex- yeah, it does. <laughs> it's so funny. And it's like, ah, oh, the, the scary smile. No. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get to our review of A Quiet Place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this movie stars Emily Blunt and John Krasinski. It is written in part by John Krasinski, and it's directed by John Krasinski, who we were just discussing. It's not his directorial debut, but it is his first movie he's directed that matters well, and, and that people he, are seeing. He did direct a couple episodes of The Office in some of the later seasons. Um, it's funny. I was telling you guys off mic that I went from watching a, from watching this movie to going back to season one of the office just Mm. to watch the difference in john krasinski's body (laughs) because season one i mean even any part of the office he is this tall lanky looking dude and you're like this guy's never gonna make it now after seeing this movie whether or not you love it or not he has a fucking bright future ahead of him as far as filmmaker goes. he's daddy there is a chance that (laughs) We could look back and say John Krasinski is the most successful member of The Office, more so than Steve Carell, because Steve Carell is never really... I mean, he's an Academy Award-nominated well, actor. Carell, he doesn't have but, quite the ambitions that I, Krasinski has. A lot of people don't know this, um, because with a lot of the more repertory characters in The Office, it was it was very much like, oh, holy shit, I guess I'm, I guess I'm a millionaire now. Like with like Kevin or Angela or whoever. They weren't going to be big, and they got this role, and it made them big. Krasinski was like fresh out of the Ivy League, and... And he, you know, he was a rich boy growing up and all that stuff. And he, he had the vision. He was like, this, if this sitcom doesn't work out, I'm going to be big anyway. Like he knows how to make a film. He knows all this stuff. Um, And you could even, this is pretentious or not even, but like, I'm something of a connoisseur of office bloopers. Um, I was talking to you about this, Hunter. If you watch them, particularly in the later seasons, the cockiness he has with like calling for new, like someone will say something funny and everyone laughs and he's like, all right, let's get a cut of that. Even though he's not directing the episode, yeah. you can hear the director in the background. He's like, all right, uh, cut and let's get another one of that take. Yeah. And it's like, oh, this guy is like really, this he, guy. Is, uh, he has a couple directing credits on The Office. Yeah. All the, all the main cast members directed later on. Like he directed um, The Boat, Lotto and Sabre. Um, one yeah. each year. So anyway, yeah, he's directed a couple other things. He's produced a lot. He has his own production company uh, with Emily Blunt, and this is, I I would say this is the movie that makes him not Jim anymore. Well, I, did you did guys you ever see, see Thirteen Hours? Yeah. No. 
Exactly. No. Did you see I, that fucking stupid football movie? I actually kind of want to see 13 Hours because I've heard it's one of the best Michael Bay movies, which doesn't sound like it's saying much at all because it's not because Michael Bay sucks. But like I've heard that 13 Hours, he's like really good in it as Jack Jim Halpert and just he's he's like he's very like you watch that movie and you're like this guy has a bright future Mm -hmm. so he's put on all this muscle in preparation for this movie and for his role in uh amazon prime's jack ryan yeah Yeah, jack ryan which i'm still convinced is set in the office cinematic universe oh Oh, this takes place in the office cinematic yeah this (laughs) this is like the logan of the office a quiet place takes place Right after uh, the final uh, season of well, yeah, it's, The Office. I mean, done. this movie is set in like 2020, 2021. Yeah. So it, it's canon. It's all canon. Um, okay. So uh, I don't know if we can get too deep into this movie without getting into spoilers. So let's just give some brief thoughts. Yeah, let's, let's uh, go around. Without really touching on the details of the plot. So yeah, like 30 seconds. Let's just so go around. I... Uh, went into this movie a little bit skeptical because it's one of those movies where you hear all this good buzz, um, but you don't know exactly what you're going to get, and especially me being a little bit more reserved when it comes to horror movies. Um, I didn't know if I was going to get a Get Out and a Vivich type thing or more like conventional horror. I think this movie strikes a good balance between being like really good art house filmmaking and also being kind of mainstream uh crowd pleasing horror um seeing this movie in a theater was a great experience Mm -hmm. i had a really really good time my theater struggled a little bit with staying quiet um people looked at their phones people you know muttered Mm -hmm. to themselves and it's just gonna happen it's impossible to get a completely quiet theater i'm just glad that i didn't get like a baby or a child in there um, but this is just a movie that you want to see in the theater. And that really added to my experience of it. I think the tension of just sitting in a quiet crowd during a film like this, you know, Krasinski takes full advantage of, of sitting in a quiet, big Place. screen cinema, uh, <laughs> that this, this movie just, just feeds on that tension of just sitting in a room full of, of people just in silence it 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 thrives on that and most of the tension and suspense just comes directly from that i thought that 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 in itself is the main thing that the movie is trying to accomplish it's trying to put the audience in the same space as the characters in that constant fear of making any sound yeah and you have these people in, in in the audience with you who are munching on snacks or or drinking their soda or slurpees or whatever and they're all terrified to be too loud, which is exactly what the characters in the film are experiencing. Mm. It, I, it's an unbelievable that that a, a a director as young as as Krasinski is able to command that sort of control over the audience with with this film. It, that that was my main takeaway from it. Uh, also, Emily Blunt is great in this. I loved her, mm-hmm. um, and I'm gonna wait to do my uh criticisms until we get to spoilers because they're very specific to yeah, yeah, to yeah. the plot but overall i really enjoyed it i think seeing it in a theater is awesome um i i just it was so entertaining seeing this movie and and it just had me hooked from start to finish i, I was so tense that i i can't really let my the the criticisms knock it because it was such a gripping uh viewing experience that it is gonna be up there with my favorite films of the year um 
I also, I really, really enjoyed this movie. Um, I definitely do have some problems with it. I think that it does, as as good as it is at balancing tension with silence, I do think that there are maybe one or two many jump scares, like like modern horror jump scares in it, yeah. for my taste. Um, which is something, it's my biggest pet peeve with horror movies uh, nowadays, is that they kind of just rely solely on this, which this movie doesn't. It creates tension in silence, like... No movie that I've seen in recent memory. Um, I also have some problems with it, but one thing I will say was there was never any moment in the movie where there was a scene where I was like, all right, come on, like like total like eye rolling. Like even I love Get Out. Get Out was one of my favorite movies of last year, but we still we have the scene in the uh, police department like that, or it's just like one of those scenes where it's like eye rolling. It's you can tell it's like there just for laughs or whatever. And there's no scene like that in this movie. It's an hour and a half long and it doesn't ever drag at any point. Um, which I mean, it's an hour and a half. It shouldn't drag at any point, but it, does have very good flow to it. I think the performances overall are good. Um, I thought the score um, was really solid. Um, I had his name pulled up a second ago. Let me go back on there. Um, but it's the guy who did... He's done a shit ton of scores, um, including... For, Marco Beltrami. Yeah, he did iRobot, uh, Snowpiercer, Fantforstic. He's done like a ton, ton of stuff. Uh, the last, The last few Die Hard movies he's mm. been the composer of, World War Z. Um... But yeah, I really, I love the way that this movie plays with silence um, in a really, really cool and compelling way. Um, shout out to American Sign Language. You're the real MVP of this movie. Mm. Um, yeah, especially and the, Emily, the Emily young... Blunt. Emily Blunt is fantastic yeah. Yeah, in this movie. Definitely. There's the young girl, uh, Millicent Simmons. Yeah, she's actually, actually deaf. Yeah. Yeah. She is actually deaf. That's really cool. Um, yeah, so overall... I, I mean I wish we could all disagree a little more but like I don't I want to be the black sheep but I really I I'm kind of like you Ernest I went in and I was like okay Krasinski is he's a gamer like he he has clout and he has a lot of money and he has his production company so theoretically this movie could suck um it's not like he super had to prove himself but he also wanted to prove yeah. himself he wanted to transcend he didn't want to be David Schwimmer he didn't want to always just be tied to this character and this, I was very impressed by this movie. It's, I think it does balance like being kind of more abstract and then modern horror. But I think the more impressive balancing act that this movie does is that it is the pacing of it. It is so patient during certain scenes and yet it's an hour and a half and it develops a plot line. Mm. That is so. It's patient without ever dragging. Exactly. Which is what's that is so hard to do and it's so rare in movies especially. And I think it's it's act structure is pretty fluid. Yeah, exactly. Because usually, I mean, typically if you get a movie where it's e- it's either going to be rushing or dragging like Whiplash. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this was just not. It it was so patient, particularly early on, that when things get faster paced at the end, you don't feel like it's rushing. You just feel like it's a natural crescendo. This movie had a great build of tension and a rise of action. And the final 30 minutes are basically one interwoven like set piece. You I'd could say call it's it. almost the last 40 yeah, minutes. Yeah, the last like half of the movie yeah. almost is one big interwoven thing. And it's handled really well. It's very like, cohesive. Excellent job for a first-time yeah, the thing, movie director. This, this is a script that kind of lends itself to showing good directing because it's you know it's a it's a script where you're not going to get a lot of conversations. It's a very quiet movie, so you have to show using the camera things instead of just sorkening it, instead of just explaining all of it. So it's a script that like 
was setting the plate for Krasinski to like eat on it. You know I, what I love mean? that there wasn't a big opening voiceover explaining this, why the world is like yeah, this. The, is only the, thing, oasis. the only thing that you get is these little clips of newspapers where they kind of say like, yeah, the monsters are blind. Yeah, that what, stuff. Which I do want to talk a little bit about the monsters because this is a creature feature. Um, it's not and, a spoiler to say that. Yeah, no, and it's not. And that's kind of the thing that I was happy about because I mean I knew that there was going to be a monster, but as I liked It Comes at Night, but I do think that this is a much better movie than It Comes at Night just because mm-hmm. there is actually something, there is a build up to something. I thought that the monster's design themselves was really fucking cool. It was kind yeah. of a remnant of Poltergeist, of the monster, the yeah, spider I was getting some alien too. Yeah. Alien. Well, yeah. okay. So one thing that, um, shout out to Lee, that she made me think about this. When are When is someone going to come up with a different design for an alien? Oh, yeah. Because Alien was so influential that no one has ever really tried well, anything too different from even, that. Even art before that, I don't know exactly where it originated, but aliens have always had a certain... Like, they've always had the big head for some well, reason. Well, I mean, look at look at Close Encounters. That's a different design. Yeah. But well, then you get to Alien, and then you have this big monstrous... But I feel like there's really... It all comes back to, like, two main designs, because you get... Like that type of alien, like yeah. monster, scary looking thing, or you get green people, like you no, do in Close Encounters. I think or Annihilation did a great job of trying something a little bit more unique. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. So this, I'm not saying they look bad. I'm just saying that it wasn't fully oh, unique it, and original. No. And see, I have like like you guys, I have nits to pick, like I like we always do. Um, and that's kind of one of them is this movie does like it unabashedly borrows from plenty of other horror movies, but never to a point where it's like, okay, fuck you. Like, it's never that bad. Yeah. It's one of them. There million... are definitely a, quite a few tropes to go around here. Yeah, where yeah. It's like, all right, I know where this is going. Yeah. There's stuff you've kind of seen before, but it's done in a new way. Like it's nothing is like super stale about this movie. A lot of those things are necessary though. Yeah, when you're, bu- when you're building tension, you want to keep certain information from the characters that the audience knows it's basic dramatic dramatic tension yeah but that doesn't mean that it i feel like there are certain points where it could have been handled more originally one thing that i wasn't expecting from this movie which i was pleasantly surprised by is there is actual real emotional weight to this movie we'll talk a little bit more about specifically in spoilers themes of like family yeah but there's a specific moment at the end where i generally like i got a little bit like I yeah. felt like a little bit like tearing up. There's, like there's my a chest moment. started to tighten a little bit. It, like it did, yeah, it did. I was, I agree. Where like horror movies, the problem with horror is that it doesn't have to build any type of emotional weight to get butts in seats. People yeah. just want to get scared. This movie, like, I'm not saying it, it's like the biggest plot line because that would make it not really a horror movie. But it it took the time, hmm. even though it's only 90 minutes, it took time to build a storyline. Yeah, and you know it. it it gave me enough of that to want more and I hate to do it to the movie, but I kind of want to knock it a little bit for not giving me more emotion because there was you Krasinski and and Blunt are so good in this movie. And even the kids too, that like it helps that they have the chemistry of being married in real life to being married in this movie. They have these really effective emotional moments, dramatic moments that I kind of wanted more of it. Like there are a couple moments that I thought were cut off a little bit too early and I would have rather have had them 
sit with me a little bit more before we get back to the crazy, you know, alien stuff. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, okay, so those are nits. But overall, I mean, we've all agreed that we liked it. Sorry Definitely for all the fans that want it. us to um, fight. But I don't know if this is a movie, though, that I can recommend to everybody. Because, I mean, for one, it is a horror movie. And two, it is a very patient movie. Yeah. And this is a movie that... I know right now it still is getting, I think it has like a 98 or something on Rotten Tomatoes, yeah, something really high, high but I know a lot of general audiences I feel like are going to get bored with this movie. Um, I know you talked a little bit about your uh, theater experience, Ernest, but my theater was surprisingly good. There were kids in my theater, but like, I don't know if their parents is, told them beforehand, like, hey, shut the fuck up or something. I think it's R. But it might be PG thirteen. I, I honestly I'm not sure. I but mean there's certainly not a lot of cussing. There were there were children <laughs> <laughs> lots of sign language curse words. <laughs> but um I overall it is yeah, PG-13, I think, yeah. I think that we are kind of in agreement that this is that we would recommend this movie. Yeah, for the I'd part. give it a very strong seven to a light eight. I think it'd probably be a solid eight. Yeah. Um very, very strong directorial effort. Um, I honestly think that Krasinski might be a better director than he is an actor. And I think he's a, might be a more versatile director. I mean, time well, yeah. will, time will tell. And, and but... I think I think a lot of the good parts of the script are him because I was looking at the two other guys that have writing credit on this, and they haven't put out. They anything haven't good. done shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm really interested to watch it because whenever I left the theater, I kind of it was one of those things where I wanted to go back and rewatch the movie immediately because I mean, with Get Out, the first time I saw Get Out, I really enjoyed it a lot. The second, third time that I watched it, I fucking loved it. So I feel like I could have kind of a similar thing with A Quiet Place where it's a movie that'll benefit from multiple viewings kind of knowing where the story is going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, what, would what, you guys, what, what would you guys rate it if you would? I, I would give it an 8 as well. Uh, in addition to everything we said, it's also important that this movie gets really fucking scary. It, yeah. We didn't even oh, yeah. mention that. But um, like, there are genuine like horrific moments um, and a lot of the time with horror, that's what's missing for me is there's not a moment where I'm actually feeling it, where I'm like, oh, what's happening is scary, but I'm not like viscerally feeling it. Well, I think it. a lot of that is due to the suspense. Yeah. Like there are moments of like shock, which I think, you know, you compared it a little bit to It Comes at Night. It Comes it comes at Night, a lot of it is tension, but that movie, certainly towards the end, it relies a lot on shock value. Yeah. And I don't think A Quiet Place really does that. No, it doesn't. Um, I wouldn't even say this is more of a thriller movie than it is a horror movie. There is a monster in it, which makes it technically horror. But watching this movie, I was more like thrilled than I was scared at some points, um, which... I don't know if that was intentional or not, um, if it was just the suspense of watching it with this movie being almost entirely just either completely silent or just background noise. And that makes, um, like, the whole movie tense as hell. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I do... Uh, I would also... I would give this movie, a, like, a 7.5 to an 8. Um, my biggest criticisms with it, kind of like I said before without getting into spoilers, is just kind of the... A little bit of the generic horror movie-ness to it all. The whole... There are still one or two specific things that bug me. They're just like generic jump scares or even worse, fake jump scares, which I just, I fucking can't stand that shit. But before we go into spoilers, I will say, you know, we we all recommend this movie, but be wary of seeing this in a theater because, you know, nowadays people just don't respect the cinema and they're going to be on their phones <laughs> yes, and they're going to be talking these days. Yes, I'm but, like, but I, don't, I don't think they ever did. No. Yeah. But, but I do think that this is a movie that 
definitely benefits from seeing it in a theater, seeing a big screen, and with the sound. Like, yeah. this is a movie that you it the the sound design is so good, which sounds kind of it sounds like an oxymoron with a movie being not having a ton of sound in it, but the silence is truly deafening at yeah. points. Yeah, and I, the, what I'm trying to say is that you know, if if we recommend this movie and you go out and see it and you go to the theater and you spend your money, there's a chance that you're not going to like it because not because of the movie, but because of disrespectful people in the audience that will ruin the experience. Oh, I was ready. If there was a person in my theater that was like loudly talking or on their phone or something, I was going to tell them to shh, which I've never done in a movie before. But like with this movie, it was something where we're watching a movie called a quiet place. Like be fucking quiet while you're watching it. And like people for some reason can't go an hour and a half without looking at their damn phone. But the the in my theater there was one guy who had a couple outbursts um not too, nothing too crazy but there were like two times that he was loud and there was a woman next to him who shushed him both times Good. and i really appreciated that so just be careful you guys going are the out real there. mvps in yeah. the theater <laughs> let's uh, let's get to spoilers for a quiet place starting now okay so i can spoil the end of this movie with one other movie you ready mars attacks with the, the with sound, the ch- no the the loud the high pitch frequency that uh, kind of makes them oh, like, yeah, go yeah, insane. Yeah. Shout Colin kind of brought that up to me, and I was like, "Wow, this this movie is it's signs mixed with Mars attacks mixed with a little bit of the the Viva itch." And also, I I I said this in my letterbox review. It's uh, the scene from War of the Worlds where they're hiding out in Tim Robbins's cellar. <laughs> Except an hour and a half of that. Yeah, yeah. Where and they're just being really quiet, hiding from the aliens. Well, yeah, and then also, I mean, that's a trope that's taken from, originally, I would say, uh, Predator, where there's the scene where yeah. they're covered in mud and they can't move, and then Jurassic Park uses the exact same mm-hmm. thing. It's just, I mean, it's a perfect scene for making a movie. I do think, I thought that the world itself that they're in is really fucking cool, and it's believable. Everything they do, they all walk around without shoes on, they mark in their house with sand on like where to step on and everything yeah. so that they just make little, they make they're playing monopoly with little felt pieces. Yeah. yeah. For everything. The, it's all so well thought the out. The plates are like leaves. Yeah. Yeah. They're just using like a leaf of lettuce yeah. instead of actual yeah. plates. For the most part, a lot of it checks out and you it's obviously a well thought out movie because it has to be because like I said you can't just explain shit in this movie there's you're not allowed to talk yeah you can't explain it you got to show us and they do a good job like there's just the little things like that monopoly scene I appreciated that because yeah. it's like that makes this world feel real guys but that fucking opening oh the scene. opening is so awesome. good this movie starts with a bang oh and yeah the whole theater is just jolted you know yeah. and, and I'm I I was extremely impressed with first of all the, the decision to do that because that's kind of a tricky thing that I think could have gone wrong where the first five minutes it's confusing you don't there's no setup yeah you don't, it's about three months into this yeah exactly chaos. it just says day 70 something it doesn't 89. say yeah it doesn't say what happened so you're just like okay it's abandoned everyone's gone and these people are foraging this family they're speaking in sign language they, they have see to be quiet. one of their child is one of their children is sick so they go to this pharmacy place and yeah. then their youngest son finds a little toy of a rocket which it's kind of you see his room later on you see that he kind of has this obsession with rockets and because he wants to leave he signs over to his sister 
sister, like, <laughs> this is how we'll get out of here with this rocket yeah, ship. Yeah, and it's tragic, but, and so she, the deaf sister decides, I'll give you the rocket. Yeah, but I'll she takes the, the batteries out, but then he grabs the battery. But what's so smart about that is I saw him grab the batteries, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a thing, like, halfway through the movie where it's going to pull the monster yeah, towards or him. Yeah, to- no. or at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, no, this is going to happen. <laughs> like, he fucked up, and he's going to pay for it right now. Yeah, and I, that was, like, a goosebumpy moment for me. As it's soon as right you hear as soon as you hear the audio come on towards his son yeah, to try to save him. Yeah, because, I mean, it was a perfect show me, don't tell me thing where it wasn't like, and these are the aliens. No, no, no. It was... <laughs> It was like you know, you, for some reason in the in your head, you're like, man, I hope that kid doesn't turn that fucking rocket on. And then he does, and he does, and you're like, well, he's dead. I don't know why he's dead, but that kid's gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and the death scene is handled very well, where you don't get a great look yeah. at the alien, but you're like, oh, that's and an alien. Cut also, to title. Yeah, I've I've heard some criticisms with the children's behavior, but I didn't have a problem with that because they act like kids. Yeah. Like that's one thing about this movie is like the kid is four years old. They show his like birth because they lay a little like tombstone for him like right yeah. there on that bridge where he dies. Yeah, he's four years old. So like it's believable. Like a little kid they don't necessarily understand the whole idea of how much danger they're yeah. in. So he's going to do something like yeah, that. Even with the deaf daughter she's like you can kind of complain about her for being just like like kind of angsty teen but she's like what 13 years old also like, she blames herself good. for killing her brother yeah. and that's yeah that's a she huge yeah, point uh, no logistically the problem isn't with the kids it's with the parents like that was one of my nits is i'm not taking my four-year-old out foraging in the town that's fucking but stupid. also what are you going to leave leave, leave mom and the kid at home underground which is where they should have been the whole movie if I you mean, really think about it kind but. of was a pro i mean they separated okay. later on in the film and that ended up leading to yeah. more drama and also the way it's set up it's like they're only three months into this shit and then we jump to over a year later mm. So I mean I know I mean things have to happen for it to be a movie like th- that scene had to happen because yeah. it was an awesome scene. It's just logistically to be mad at the kid is stupid. Be mad at the parents. They're letting their stupid little four year old walk. Behind I mean them. I don't think yeah. that they're mad at the kid either because John Krasinski even says well it doesn't say he signs at one point that like it's not your fault like it's nobody's fault yeah. except for the monsters. And like, Emily Blunt has a really good, she has so many damn good scenes. She's incredible she's good actress, in this, but. But she has that moment where she's just sobbing, saying that she should have been holding him in her arms. He wouldn't mm-hmm. have been walking behind them if she was just holding Yeah, if him. anything, um, they should blame their line structure. Where are they going to put the smallest, youngest child at the back of the yeah, line? Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. No, like, stupid. The, king, the leader of the wolf pack, if we're like talking about just like wolves here, the leader isn't at the front of the pack. It's, it's at the back, the back yeah. because yeah. that's where the women and children are at. That's where you get killed from. <laughs> Is in the back. Is you get attacked from yeah. behind, not so, from up front. Yeah. So logistically, there were just a few issues like that where it's like you guys should be a little more careful. Yeah. But um, overall, yeah, that was an incredible scene, and then it cuts right to about a year later. Um, They're at a farm. Yeah. With, somehow they still have electricity. They don't explain that. Well, uh, I mean, it's not like electricity got like shut down. They're probably like kind of off yeah. the grid anyways we see, like other fire uh, fires of other. That camps. was an awesome, awesome scene because I was kind of watching it just like. I mean, they you see these little newspaper clips, so you know this is like a worldwide phenomenon, but you're kind of wondering to yourself, like, how many people are even left after this? Like, are they the only people within, yeah. like, I mean, miles and miles? He's and, sending out radio signals and yeah. getting nothing. Um, I, I will say that um, moment where it kind of pans around the his whole area with the TV monitors and the newspaper clippings, mm-hmm. how many times have we seen that in movies oh, see, where it shows that? Yeah. But in this movie... 
I didn't mind it because kind of had to. It, it just it it makes sense the way it's directed. You just kind of see this character having that going on in his basement like and it's, it's not just like this is here for the audience the, and the way that i view it is you either have to have that scene or you have to have exposition yeah yeah exactly. or you could have both and then that would just be bad but like i would rather i think that they'd handled it very tastefully as opposed to just having voiceover or even yeah. like a flashback scene that no. would have this isn't like uh um not I but I am legend where we get like a flashback scene yeah. of it actually happening. And I appreciated that. Yeah. I'd I mean, it, just it just, that it kind of had to be there, even though it's hack, even though it's a trope that wall covered in newspapers for exposition, it, like it had to, yeah. you, like, you got to cheat somehow if no one's talking. Yeah. Um, and also a little, even more, a little more unforgivable, still forgivable, but the, uh, the whiteboard that was like three in area. <laughs> what's what do like, <laughs> like it was written by Charlie Kelly, but, then, <laughs> <laughs> but then, I, I, I didn't mind that as much because then at the very end of the movie, you see the daughter look over. It says weakness, yeah. question mark. And she's like, oh, I know weakness. And she's like, ear. Also, uh-huh. another shout out to Lee. She was thinking, why didn't the military think of that? Well, of that's feedback. That's um that's a problem that a lot of movies have, particularly uh, a big issue with Ready Player One. It, where it, are the cops? <laughs> no, it, where it's like no one drove their fucking car backwards. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> so I thought of a comeback to that just I bet you briefly did. on Ready Player One um, because you have to pay to enter the race. Oh, I know. But so who's going to pay to like possibly just wreck their car and well, like fucking kill themselves? I mean, the, the IOI is going to pay. They have half. They have all the people in this race and not one of them okay. in years is driven backwards. Let's not get off topic. Well, no, yeah. but it's just what I'm saying. That's the thing that happens in movies just because in the movie you're, you're there's an expectation that you're kind of going to be in trance and then maybe afterwards you'll think about it but that was one thing where i was like no one figured that out huh yeah. like the they got into every military fortress in the world and like killed them in the most highly barricaded buildings but this this family didn't die because they already know sign language but like well I, yeah but i talking to your point earlier about john krasinski and um emily blunt's uh just the way their their char- their charisma together i loved loved the scene where he's down there in the basement and she's just like listening to music and they just put an earbud in each other's ear and then just dance and like yeah. sway back oh, and forth. Yeah. that was such a, a beautiful moment. scene see that leads into the 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 what this movie's ultimately about which is not only the fear of imminent doom but also the fact that she's pregnant. Yeah, and which, that which is another probably stupid bad idea. idea. Yeah, probably a bad idea. Like during the apocalypse, you're gonna fucking okay. have another baby. Like you already got two kids. I think this this discussion is worth having because yeah, this it's just stupid. this just leads into what you th- take away from the movie. I think if you look at this movie and you say they're fucking stupid, why are you having sex in this apocalypse? Why are you doing not this? having sex? Just pull out. Pull out, John Krasinski. Pull I mean, out. come on, you, you hit her in the belly. You don't, you don't know what happened. It, it was, for all you know, it was probably a mistake, and she got pregnant, and they had no way of like aborting the baby, except so, for uh, I don't know. They got the gone with the wind. Also, she should get method. fucked up every night. <laughs> also, it'll come out a little. Her weird. her child was just murdered by an alien. Don't you think that through that heartbreak, she would convince herself that this is another chance oh, yeah. to have a child? Like yeah. conceivably, it makes sense, but still. It was a frustrating like logistic where you're like, though, don't, yeah. don't, please don't. But, but they had it all planned out. They had every step. That was of the really cool. I did love that. I love the way. I mean, talked about it a lot, but just the way that everything is shown to you, it's not explained. But the way they have this little baby crib with the 
oxygen leading into the crib because babies are going to cry like that's just a fact of nature like they can't stop that from happening that the baby is going to cry so that they built this whole setup with a box that they could just like cover up the baby while it's sleeping and then still feed the baby oxygen which you can kind of argue the ethics of that on how how much coddling the baby's going to get there are multiple ways to interpret this film but i think the two main ones are either don't have kids because they're loud and they rob you of your silence and you'll die or have kids because that's the only way you prove your your um your own self-worth to yourself like she has that line emily blunt who are we if we can't protect them yeah like they great line i think that's what the whole theme of this whole story is about it's about no it doesn't matter if the world is ending you still have to at least try to have some sort of strength in your core life in your family like that's what gives you self-worth and and value is if you build something that you're proud of and you you raise kids that you love and that you protect and that you can can trust to protect you and to live on and you know ultimately the the sacrifice that Krasinski makes like he does it because he just wants his kids to be okay and to live and yeah. to know that 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 he loves them like i thought that scene was absolutely beautiful i yeah. i agree with that um there was i just talking earlier about the fake jump scares which i hate so much like we get the one earlier on where they hear the thing rustling after uh they knock over the lantern or whatever and it's loud and you hear the rustling on the With roof the and everything and it's just a raccoon yeah. like come on and then we have the thing where they're walking through the corn maze uh later on and you have a hand come and grab out and it's just like the other son or whatever and it's like mm-hmm. yeah come on There's like that's literally a, yeah. that's just meant to just be like ah like just yeah. fake out I'm, jump scare i'm fine with a few of those in a horror movie like yeah, we we were talking about this off mic a little bit that a lot of these mainstream horror audiences they kind of want that you know if you yeah. give them something like the Vivitch that is completely pretty much entirely devoid of that they're just going to call it trash they're con- going to call it pretentious trash so a movie like this has to try to appeal to more mainstream horror audiences yeah, that I just, want that I don't I I understand that don't get me wrong I do understand that but I kind of hate that whole idea of walking the fine line between making a mainstream horror movie and making something like more art house something like that that's like, why it kind of knocked this movie down a little bit because, because it, it tries to yeah, like but it, it knocked it up for a lot of other people it, yeah yes exactly exactly um another uh another thing that I wanted to bring up that I I really like one of the most like shocking scenes is and you know what's going to happen the nail scene mm-hmm. where she's like bringing out the laundry and you see the nail come up. And I thought it was going to be one of the children who like yeah. jumped on the nail, but instead it was Emily Blunt. She knocked up the nail. So she steps back on it while like, like about to give birth to this baby. And she just has to like fucking hold in the screams stepping on a fucking nail. It's like, that very, was- it's very effective tension, but that's one of my biggest nitpicks of the film is how the fuck is that nail there? It's always been there. Yeah. <laughs> like that made no <laughs> when sense. When did it get there? Cause you're not hammering in this yeah. house. Like that, that's another thing. I mean, I have plenty of things like that. I wrote down, but the reality is during the movie, I was pretty fine yeah, with it. No, it works. Yeah. But if you think about it and you're like, why is well, that I nail mean, even there? This like, looks it makes like an no old sense. house. They probably lived. This is their house from before everything happened. And it probably just, it's not like you can really like do lots of, 
maintenance on this house because that's a loud process to do. So it might have just been like an old nail and kind of, I mean, I used to just kind of have like uh, one of my family's homes just like just out in the countryside. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean like you have basements or stairway areas that are very old and that the wood kind of starts, what happens is the wood kind of sinks a little bit and nails will start to stick out from the bottom. But theoretically, if you were to have something to hook that nail, it gets stuck and then you pull it, then it's you got a nail sticking straight up. Maybe she should have been more observant because there are exact parts on the wood marked where to step. <laughs> yeah. So maybe you should like look and be like, oh, hey, there's a nail in that one yeah. spot. Also, that- another uh uh, cheap jump scare that leads into my other main nitpick is her bloody hand on the shower. I love that. That oh, I didn't like that at all. I no. thought that was a great moment. I didn't. I didn't like that. That was how another fake give, out jump scare. How did she give birth? She got in the shower. No, well, and that's right. And just gave birth. Like no, what? no, no. She she did it in the bathtub because you see her like in the bathtub. The monsters right there, but it. I mean, kind of a little bit Deus Ex Machina that they happen to set off the. The fire, the fireworks right as soon as she has to scream because you can't fucking give birth without like making noise. Like that's impossible. Yeah. Like you have a fucking child was, coming out. From that you. was very effective editing though. How you're yeah. going to all of these different areas of the farm and you're cutting between them and it's so like frantic and hectic and it all culminates in the scream and the fireworks. That was really really good. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about like the fact that she just managed to give birth easily. And just like, oh, hey, baby. Yeah, here. it wasn't like an hour long <laughs> process or anything like that. It was just like one push and it's out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I guess that was that's kind of forgivable for me. Like they were just showing there was a whole other thing going on. So they showed that instead of just like a grueling birth. I wanted to see Emily Blunt giving. Birth. Yeah, exactly. Like no one wants to see like the entirety of that. <laughs> um, but I love that hand jump scare because I, it didn't feel cheap to me. Like it felt like. Because you're in his mind. You're that's, like, she's dead. That's she's why these fucked. jump scares work for me, because they worked to show you the perspective of these characters, where you're like, oh, he's scared as shit, and yeah. he's, he thinks she's dead. It wasn't a fake Yeah, but out. I, think then, to that, I think to that argument, you could argue that every fake jump scare in a movie has that same kind of perspective. Where no, it's because like, it's not where a it's fake like, out. Oh, oh, no, it was just a squirrel. But that's like, not, that's but the not same that type of thing. That, that's not what the hand was. I, I know, but like if you're going from the mindset of, oh, well, I'm in their perspective. Of course, I might be scared by like if I'm on edge and like something like small like comes in, then yeah. it's gonna ah, that's gonna make me jump. But that doesn't mean I want to watch that as an audience member. Yeah, I was just fine with that one because I thought the imagery, I thought the way it looked, the imagery. Was, oh I thought no, it looked I mean gorgeous. it did look really good. I, I, I had more, I had more issue with the the hand one that you mentioned in the cornfield. Yeah, like it was a good way to you know, signify that they found each other and, and to include a quick scare in there, but it didn't feel like it had a bigger purpose. Even the raccoon one I felt had a purpose to it in that we already knew that they have to be quiet. We saw the kid die, but it was just an, a second little reminder that even they knock over a lamp and all they're so fucking scared. Also, it, it makes you think like what's happening to the animals in this world. Oh yeah. They're fucking dead. Yeah. <laughs> animals Except for the just... birds. They're just like, ha we can fly away. Yeah. Um, I, really like I, I i don't know overall like i mean i did like really really enjoy this movie a lot um the scene the john krasinski death scene that that scene was a real tear yeah. for me just because we have the scene where obviously it's kind of shown that the deaf daughter is has is more brave than the son who's in there like she's the one who's just like i want to go out with you i want to go do all these things but it's understandable from john krasinski's uh perspective that like 
if like I, I I understand like he does love his daughter and he wants to take care of her, but you can't have somebody who's deaf going out on like a on an yeah. odd mission with and, you. And like, also, you can definitely you have to be able to hear noise of people coming. And you can definitely that's the one flaw with this character is you do get a tiny hint of resentment for her, not too much, but you get a, just a hint of like. I don't know what to do with you. Like you, my fucking kid's dead and everything's fucked up and you're being angsty and you get just enough of that, that he's flawed because other than that, he's a like Mary Sue. He's too perfect. Yeah. And, um, and you have the moment um, at the waterfall, which is probably one of my favorite scenes. In oh, the movie yeah, that's, a, that that's a really cool scene because his son tells him like, Hey, you have to tell your daughter yeah. that you love her because she feels like yeah, she, she doesn't is worthless. Know. And that's, I mean, that's the most actual dialogue that we get in the whole movie is them in that waterfall scene. And it's because, so and good. it's really cool. It just, the whole like imagery of them walking up to the waterfall and John Krasinski just like screaming yeah. and just being like, look, like, which, we can, which makes we can me think it. that's where they banged. <laughs> I mean, that's maybe how he knows both, like, that quiet. they can be They're loud. Yeah, I no, want to. They, I they must see have that. gone to the waterfall. Um, bang. But yeah, going back to Krasinski's character, I I had a little issue with it because he was he was a bit too perfect to the point that I saw his death coming from a mile away. Yeah, I mean, where it I was like this him, guy's too good to live. I kind of figured that he was going to die at the point where she, where Emily Blunt's character says, "You have to protect the children, no matter what it takes, yeah. and everything." Who it's are like, you if you can't protect? Yeah, them? Yeah, who are you if you can't protect? Yeah, them? and, and his shit. and I thought his death scene was it was a good scene. It was effective. It had the emotional thing where he said, "I love you" to his daughter, and she cries. She gets it. Like he signed, I we love all you get to it. And his his scream that makes his sacrifice links back to the other moment earlier on where the old man mm. screams when his wife is dead yeah and it oh makes that you was think, a great scene okay it makes that you was think that awesome in, in this world everyone is just they, they can't want to scream yeah nobody can do that um so another nitpick that was a great scene with the old man everyone on earth is dead except this guy that lives a mile away with his wife not no, everybody no, no, is no. dead though remember we mentioned there's the fires around when he goes up and yeah he like they the probably were just do, kind of doing camps. the same thing where they were just being like silently walking around maybe not everybody knows sign language but they can still like have like a whiteboard with them and like write down messages yeah, to yeah. each other yeah that makes dress sense. in white smoke cigarettes but, like, I, just, I feel I really like it's <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there guilty remnant thing <laughs> but um I feel like I I love that scene because not only to establish how John Krasinski can sacrifice himself for his kids later on but it kind of reaches that point where not only does he want to scream, but like he's staying there and he sees his wife dead and you kind of see this look on the guy's face. I don't know who that actor is. Cause he's he, that was, that was a that. wild see, look on his you face. You see that look on his face where he's just like, I have nothing left. Yeah, to live He's like, for I'm done. This like, is, this he's is like, shit. I yeah. don't want to live anymore. So he just screams to kill and himself. That scream is so good. It's a great scream. Oof. Yeah. Uh, the other scream, uh, Krasinski's later on, like great moment, but a ah! little funny. It kind it's of, a little bit of a Tarzan. I scream. thought, I thought that he was. I thought I wanted him to scream, "I love you." That would have been so much better. True. Well, was, I love, she's, I love you. she's deaf. She's so deaf. that's not going to do true. anything. He had, to, he had to sign it to her. I'm sorry. No, but scream it to you me. Piece of shit. Not your stupid daughter. Okay, uh, another thing. Because then the cause then he's dead, and the, and the um, daughter to the son. She's like, so what did he say? <laughs> He's like, oh, I love you. Another another thing, I love how they conveniently park their truck so it's on a hill so they can just put it in neutral and they'll roll perfectly down to I the think, house. I think that was part of their planning. You know, you, you have the, the yeah, setups so. of them like putting things in place. I did like the to... scene of like the sun earlier in the movie. Like, because you have to like imagine being in the life of a child while this living in this world where you have to be quiet all the time. You have to like find your own way to play games. So the kid gets in the truck and pretends like he's driving and stuff like that. Like you get little moments like that, which 
which I really loved. Um, yeah. Another thing that I love about this movie is, aside from the very beginning, after we get the title card of the film, it all takes place in the course of a day, which I thought was really cool. Mm-hmm. All of it takes place uh, in the two, day. Two days. Because there's the, the nighttime Okay, yeah. Scene. Well, within 36 hours yeah, of everything. Yeah, that, each which other. That, that is genuinely really cool. And like I said earlier, the crescendo of action in this movie is really, really well managed. Yeah. Like, this is a well-directed movie because it gives ample time to a lot of different things while still being short. And the way... It's like a perfect uh, disaster type scenario. Like the way everything goes wrong in the last 40, 45 minutes and it's still so coherent is... What did you guys think about the, uh, the silo scene? Where they're like drowning in it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I thought it was cool. Like, it was I, a little bit cliche. Yeah, it, I mean, a lot of the movie's cliche, but I thought it, it was effective. I thought it looked cool. It was really cool. Um, I thought it was fine. I didn't like the fact that the that they were we saw them sinking down and then by the end of the scene they just weren't sinking yeah, down. Yeah, okay. Well, that's that's the thing. I don't know how a human body behaves in a silo full of corn. So you can't really challenge it. Well, so it's just it's like a director trick. Well, they're like, well, you don't fucking know. Maybe they sink and then they just come right back up. But, you don't know. You don't but fucking also, know. Also, <laughs> like, so human bodies sink in corn, but like just a random like piece of the shed, they can just like hold on to that and, and that doesn't fine. sink. Classic Titanic reference. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> Um, I thought it, it was definitely more of like a visual thing than like any, it's not a scene that stuck out in my head. Like I wasn't right. like, oh, that scene, there were better scenes. So earlier I alluded to, um, some of the dramatic moments that I wanted a little bit more of. And one of them was that waterfall moment. I thought that was a beautiful scene. One of the standout moments in the film, not saying that I wanted it to be longer. I just wanted a little bit more of a little bit more moments like that. We get a little bit more of that with the um, who are we if we can't protect the moment with Emily Blunt. Her Again, her acting is incredible. But then I didn't get enough from Krasinski. I, it, the camera cut to him and we get like a single tear from him. And I was just hoping that he was going to. Just yeah, deliver like a good something. one line well, or something. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. He's kind of a like a classical stoic action hero guy. Like he's not going to give you much emotion, but when he does, it's like yeah. to, he's it's his literal death. Like that's the ultimate expression of feeling. Yeah, I mean, he he definitely I think that Emily Blunt definitely out overacted him in this movie. But um, sh- I mean, not in a bad way. No, like, no, no. She like, just she did great. He he allows her to I think he knows that she's better than him. And he doesn't want to like, you know, step over her shit. I, so I agree with that. He I agree like with opens that. up the movie to her, and I would love it if she kept starring in movies that he directs because. She's I mean, they have great. they have unbelievable chemistry together because they're together in real life, of course. But um, another scene which I love the imagery of, but I'm curious of the semantics of it of how it works is the scene in the basement where they get the the flooding scene in there yeah how did that that, and, that shit filled up real quick huh? okay no yeah <laughs> one how are you sleeping through all that like i get you just gave birth but come on um but so one of the monsters i guess when escaping hit the pipeline so yeah, water yeah, starts yeah. leaking in there but she wakes up and there's one of the monsters is in the basement with her and like she, you can kind of hear the baby yeah. just making a little bit of noises in the box um but what I don't get is, so she gets in the water where this thing swims underwater. You have like echolocation underwater. Like that thing could easily just come and find sure. Emily Blunt's legs yeah. and like fucking kill her immediately. Super quick. Yeah. Like I don't quite understand how that 
worked that she didn't die from the, that? The logic of the monsters, there are a couple moments that are a bit iffy. I did, one thing that I liked in terms of it's a great movie device and just kind of clever is the sound that, you know, sound is what feeds them and sound is what kills them. Um, it makes sense, and I I really enjoyed the scene where it's sneaking up behind the daughter, and then her hearing aid interferes with its like ear. Yeah. Um, however, so the very end when they figure out like they crack the code of how to kill these things, <laughs> with the feedback, the logic of that is more confusing to me because there is the newspaper on the wall that says like bullets don't kill them; they're bulletproof. But it just so happens if you stun them and fuck them up with the ears and then well, shoot you them have once. To, you have to shoot them inside their mouth, inside their ear hole. Okay. Is the whole thing. You like yeah. basically can't shoot the inside yeah, of them because, because they're like armor proof. And that was outside. also a really cool aspect of the, how the monsters worked is that they had like their faces opened up. It did have. Yeah. That was cool. I thought it was a very cool design as far as the kind of kind of strangers it. It, it, Stranger, Stranger Things, things yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, but it looked way better. I think. <laughs> I think the Demogorgon in Stranger Things looks like garbage. Yeah. And uh, in this, you know, I don't know. Maybe one day, um, studios will start to kind of give some leeway to more practical effects um, to lower budget films. Don't know if that's ever going to swing Come back on, around. Get Doug Jones in there, but. The, the CGI on this is great. I never had an issue with the CGI. Yeah, it looks really good. Like I all, thought that it did look really. All cool the zoom design. ins into their ear holes were really cool yeah. to me. Yeah, and it, but it did make me think like think 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 brain blast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so let's get to the very very ending and the the ramifications for we're, it. We'll, for when we get to straight, uh, Quiet Place Two, a loud place. Yeah, essentially they Quiet Places. They've they've cracked the code. The daughter, you know, she has come to terms with you know the fact that her dad loved her and like together with his knowledge and hers they have combined to figure out how to kill these things which is very touching and it's a very good you know closing up of everything and then you know it it has this ending which personally i fucking loved i i really enjoyed cut cut to credit it shows it cuts to the camera and they're all coming and you can see it in their eyes they get it they they know like we got this shit because they cut to credits that was awesome that we didn't have to see all of that i i don't know how people feel about that i really really like that because if if it would have gone on any longer that's a different movie and yeah and there were just a couple points where it just seemed like things kept getting worse and if it got worse one more time i was gonna be like all right this movie should end yeah, and it didn't. They knew right when to end it. That was a perfect ending. The ch- ch- that I I thought that was a great movie moment. Like yeah. I thought that was like one of my favorite. Yeah, I, I moments of the year. Agree with you um, on that. I I also really loved that scene um, because I I kind of did have the same feeling as you, where as soon as they killed the monster and you see them running. I was almost starting to get Ten Cloverfield Lane vibes a little bit, where it felt like it was just going to divulge into a completely yeah different exactly. Life. It was just like um, it. Everything had wrapped. So many movies do that, where everything wraps up and then it just keeps going. And then it's just like, well, we have to kill all the monsters now. And it's like, yeah, I already saw you kill one monster. Like, I get it. You know how to do it now. I don't need to see you exactly. kill all the other monsters. Yeah. It was lovely. So, as a closing thought, I'll say that um, I think, you know, I'm I'm curious to see this movie again. See if the tension works just as well, or maybe even better. I'm excited for what Krasinski directs next. I. F- fucking love emily blunt as an actress she's insanely talented really gets to shine in this um and i'm gonna be thinking about the themes a lot Mm -hmm. i think this movie has a lot to say about family Mm -hmm. and like your duty as a parent and your loyalty in in a family setting and your expectations as a as a a member of like a a family whether you're a, a son or a daughter or a parent um, I think there's a lot to take away from from this film, 
And you could see it as a film that's trying to say don't have kids or you could see it as a film that's saying definitely have kids. It's a saying to have kids. I think you could look at it either way. Yeah, I, but I don't think that they people two people with kids would make a movie that says don't have kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that but would be I so think, shitty. No, no, no. I, I just definitely, like kids suck and they will get you killed. I definitely look at it in the more positive sense, but there is enough in there to read it the other way. Um, in terms of box office, it's at uh, fifty million right now with a seventeen million dollar budget. So, yeah, it already up. wow, it already this it, is, it yeah. surpassed. It was uh, I think I saw it was projected at forty six yeah. million, and so the, it's already surpassed its uh, projected. The thing is also that word of mouth is going to get this movie places because I can't see many people walking out and being like, "Well, fuck that." I, yeah, I think it's going to be recommended. A lot. I don't think it's going to be. It's not going to get as much backlash as it comes at night because one of the things with it comes at night was that it was like. It is fear. Yeah. And like people hate that shit. I, yeah, like, I think I think the best way to describe this movie is well-rounded, in my opinion. I think it also, just did everything pretty well. Shouts out to the casting that they got Millicent Simmons, who is an actual deaf yeah. girl, to yeah. play and, the deaf girl. And Krasinski like, like pushed for that. Yeah, directly. and I, like, and I that's thought she fucking nailed it. awesome. Like I thought that she was really I thought that the kids for the most yeah. part all did really solid. The only kid who bothered me was the kid who died at the very oh. beginning of the movie. This guy saw him and I was like, This kid's stupid and he's gonna get them <laughs> fucked. And then he he just got himself fucked. So I was like, Alright, that's fine. Yeah. I I enjoyed this movie pretty much entirely like there are nitpicks there's always nitpicks particularly with a short horror movie how are there not going to be logistical flaws but krasinski is a massive winner for this movie yeah like he he's he's gonna like he's gonna go places he he pulled he pulled a jordan peele he did it he he overcame his comedy persona and he is now someone else and he is this is a respectable movie and this is a movie that is going to do well financially he did both he made a well-balanced movie um I, I'm surprised by it. I know that he has chops, and I knew that he had ambitions way beyond The Office, but I still didn't expect this to be So good. happy for you, Jim Halpert. I'm I'm happy for the you dude. Happy kid. for Jimmy. Um, Tuna. Yeah, Emily Blunt Tuna. didn't have that much to prove. He had a lot to prove with this movie, and he did it. Yeah, I, it's like, do you really deserve to be married to Emily, Emily Blunt? <laughs> it's no. like, okay, okay, okay. Well, I, I actually, um, I mean, we kind of talked about John Krasinski's acting a little bit, but I kind of appreciated that this felt like of course John Krasinski directed and write, wrote this movie but it felt like he really really let Emily Blunt shine in the role and he yeah. didn't try and just make this movie about himself he which should keep doing is that. really fucking cool yeah because like we said Emily Blunt's probably a better actor than John Krasinski is yeah, so man. like she, he needs to kind of embrace that all right um, well should we wrap it up yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all go. right let's uh uh, wrap it up with some plugs. Check us out on We Bought a Mic on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Send us your questions, comments. Recently, we've been getting a little backlash because we're not inclusive enough. So if you have some uh, thoughts that you would like to share for us to read on the show or if you would like to guest on the show, please hit us up. We'd love to have you. We need more representation on this podcast. We need more women. Um, so... Just other views are always over here. Other views are always welcome. Um, we have uh, Isle of Dogs coming up in the summer movie wager, so stick around for yeah, that. Um, should we explain? Should we explain the summer movie wager real well, quick? If you guys want to, like, kind of go ahead, we'll get gonna... into it. We'll get into it more next week. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's a um, fun fan experience. Where and can you're welcome. we? Uh, where can we find you guys on the internet? Uh, you can find me at Hunt Mobley on Twitter and Letterbox. Um, did a sweet write up review for Ready Player One, which was. Pretty 
pretty long. Um, and then uh, the I also did. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also did a write up for Sherlock Gnomes. It's good shit. Um, I'll be doing uh, my full review for Quiet Place on there later Oof. on. Probably gonna do one for Merry Christmas after we watch that. That's one that we should. All I only yeah. I only do reviews for bad movies, guys. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Drew? Uh, I'm at Drew Dietzen, spelled D-I-E-T-Z-E-N, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Letterboxd. I'm Drew D. Uh, that's, that's all you need to know. But yeah. yeah. So look out soon for these. We're doing these commentary episodes for Merry Christmas. And also, we still have to watch Bright because of we last have to year's. Watch, we have to watch Bright soon. Yeah, because of last year's up. summer movie wages. Yeah, so. Colin destroyed us. We might but. just do a bonus episode where we talk about two bad movies. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do a Patreon exclusive. I, I am at Caldernest on social media. Check out my letterbox. Been updating that pretty frequently lately. Logging all my views. And uh, leave us a review on iTunes. <laughs> Five Google, stars, please. And Google Play. Yeah. All or, right. Or two stars, one star. Who knows? Yeah, you know, just five stars, please. Okay. Just do it, do it. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye, guys. Oh.